This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 266, A Guide to Exploration. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. I don't know how I want to start. I'm, 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 I want to vamp on something. You got to vamp. I mean, that's, you were made for vamping. What does vamping mean to you? Because it's a word you use all the time. And I feel like vamping actually sort of has a negative connotation. Uh huh. And so I get curious sometimes because I'm sort of like, like, do you have a positive connotation to vamping? Because I thought vamping was something that you do to stall for time. But it's not supposed to be like real stuff. You know what I mean? I mean, I think it can be somewhat. Re- it's it's yeah, it's it's somewhat stalling for time, but it can still have context in. Yeah, but in I jazz like- and popular music, a short, simple introductory passage usually repeated several times until otherwise instructed. Yeah, yeah. Well, also um, vamping, though, or a.k.a. vamp life is when you stay up all night um, and you don't sleep at all. So is that what you've been meaning? Oh, that's or what are you I mean. talking about. So like how you have a child so you don't sleep really right. at all. Yeah, I just yeah. vamp all the time. I'm just vamping. Yeah. Oh. That thirst for blood, like all that stuff. Just that kind of vamp life, you know? I didn't know you were like a vamp life guy. Yeah. I thought yeah, you yeah, were yeah, talking yeah. about like just kind of like when you're when you're an immortal being you have to just stall for time a lot because you experience all time at all moments forever yeah it's it's tricky that's wild and Mm -hmm. and that also makes sense that you would be into twilight imperium as living your vamp life you know what i mean because you have all the time in the world because vampires don't sleep or they sleep during the day or something like that that. it it takes away the hours that's all i know is it just makes it makes the slow crawl towards infinity a little bit shorter uh hey what's up this is space cats peace turtles hi how's it going today is a funny little episode because we've been here's what we've been doing recently we've been sort of revisiting topics right from like the olden days of the of the show uh things that just needed big time updates we've been calling them guides guides to this guide to that and today is a weird one because it's a guide to something that's not really that old uh we we did an episode about exploration about 80 episodes ago which i say is not a long that that's a long time ago but it doesn't feel it feels like less time ago than 200 episodes ago i guess right is what i'm trying to right. say uh but we're doing exploration which is like a pok thing but but obviously, when we first talked about exploration, uh, we didn't know how to play POK yet, and we're not necessarily great at all of the things we were assuming about exploration and how it would pan out. So I think we've learned a lot, and so it is time for a guide to exploration, eh? Yeah, yeah. So um, the only other time we've talked about this, th- this is... <clears throat> This is a half fusion between two episodes. Yeah. There was an episode where we introduced exploration in general, and then there was an episode where we introduced the idea of relics and legendary planets. Well, we're not going to talk about legendary planets today because that that's there's that's not really a topic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, we're taking the, the relics from the relic episode, and we're taking 
the introduction to exploration, and we're dumping it all here yep. so that we can go back over those components and give you our updated takes on how we feel about them at this point yeah. so that you can factor it into your decision-making. I wouldn't say... I don't know if exploration is really something you could have a guide for. Right, yeah. Um, That's why this one feels weird and almost casual because you don't plan that hard for a mechanic that is almost entirely random chance. Absolutely. So there, there's only so much you can think about in it, but we have at this point seen a lot of, I would say, high-level play that has focused a lot on exploration, and most of that has to do with uh, just kind of paying attention to the odds the whole yeah, time. Right. But I think it might be fun to go back over these components and give you how we feel about them. Now, especially because I was looking back at the outline uh, to our introduction to some of these uh, yeah. concepts, and I would say some of our takes were quite whack, I would say. <laughs> so the idea here is that this is no longer an introduction. We are talking about these components because we know them well, because we've spent a lot of time with POK now. We've had uh -huh. almost 100 episodes since we talked about this these components. Yeah. So we have, uh, I, think, I think, better, deeper ideas about what these components mean. And so you can go ahead and retire, I would say, the old episode and uh, use this in its yeah. place is right. what I would prefer, I think is what makes sense. Um, yeah, so to, to lead off with, we're going to read all the stuff and kind of go brief analysis, but then we'll talk a lot more after we get through everything. But to, to lead off, I do want to, to drive home the point. First off, like we just said, this is like a, a very just random mechanic. It's, it's very hard to control any of it. And also, its time frame in the game is extremely limited right. outside of a couple instances. And even those instances are very limited in how often they can even get used. So for the most part, exploration is like a round one and some of round two situation it's just an early mm. game thing that realistically the strategy of twilight imperium nowadays is having exploration happen to you and adjusting your strategy to that exploration that occurred you are not necessarily strategizing your exploration to a t you have the planets in front of you that you can reach round one those are going to get explorers the results of which will dictate how the rest of your game goes and you adjust right. to the, to those things so i'm trying to think of all of this stuff less as what do i hope i get and more like if i get x what do i what do, do I with do? that information yeah. how do i move right. forward from there because uh, we right. have no control over what we actually get, but we have control over what we do with the information once we've received it. So that's more or less kind of my frame of thinking uh, for for this guide. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that is the, the healthiest way to play with these components is to just kind of expect that any of them will be thrown in your corner mm -hmm. and be ready for what that means. No, knowing all of these components, if you're if you're going to be wanting to play um while in imperium in you know if you're looking to play in tournament five if you're looking to just play at a high level the exploration is only going to factor into like a narrow set of games but mm -hmm. when ex exploration does factor in it feels like it has a pretty deep yeah. impact it's kind of the cruelty of exploration is that it's a inherently rng mechanic we're literally just flipping over cards and you get what you get right some of these cards are the foundation for an entire game winning strategy right however that game win is akin to 
going into a casino and putting all on black and yeah. it does come up right black you know what i mean like that's that's the situation that right. i think uh you would be describing so it's really tempting to i think overemphasize exploration a little bit in your play obviously if you're playing as nasroka you can't overemphasize exploration it's part yeah. of their whole mechanical advantage right but with most factions i would say it's it isn't in any random game, super important the right. way that you play with these components. I just right. want to put that out there. Right. There are games where you get an early or even late uh, attachments objective, and that's qu a quite different game, I would say. Uh, right. and, and if anything, I would say the main reason these days people think about exploration, it is solely due to attachments because that feeds into victory points it, it is always right. funny how often we can talk about stuff in twilight imperium and we can get really hopeful about different things and then at the end of the day the only thing that ever matters is what directly gives me victory points that it always right. comes back down to that of just like what actually got me a point everything else is superfluous and and kind of doesn't matter because i just needed to each round find the most efficient path to a victory point at the end of that round um yeah so sometimes that's attachments sometimes it's not sometimes it's tech skips of which some of our attachments help with whatever uh but that that is the gist here so let's let's dive in let's kind of burn through uh these things because we have explained all these before we talk about them often honestly uh and there's not on an individual basis a ton to evaluate here but it's more about the synthesis of everything after the fact that we'll really kind of dig deeper into all this but let's get through the decks let's talk through we are going to include the the frontier deck as well we'll also talk about the relic deck but let's start with our three planet traits so of course a guide to exploration would require we explain uh, if, that if you don't know, I don't know if you don't own POK yet and you are looking into getting it. Exploration is the new mechanic where when you take a planet uh, in gaining it, you also explore it and you draw a card from one of mm. the relevant decks. There's a cultural deck. There's an industrial deck. There's a hazardous deck. There's a frontier deck that applies to the frontier tokens you place on the empty planetless spaces on the board. And there's a relic deck that comes in later. We'll talk about that. There's things in these decks that apply to the relic deck. But you're just going to draw one of these cards when you receive the planet. Uh, technically, you gain it. Is it is it a when? I forget what the rule book states. The timing is like for like in a, in a Titans scenario, the the gaining of the card oh, comes God. before the place. This stuff doesn't isn't critically important. But the point is, when you gain control of a neutral planet, not an enemy planet, a neutral planet in most cases, uh, you flip over one of these cards. So let's talk about them, huh? Do you want to? We will start with cultural. The cultural deck is the blue planets. And the first and foremost thing to know about all of these decks is a percentage of the decks have a, what are known as relic fragments in them. And the numbers are different from deck to deck. So in the cultural deck, out of 20 cards, there are nine relic fragments. Almost 50% of the cultural deck is just relic fragments. You can make three entire relics out of just searching through the cultural deck alone. So if you got Scanlink, if you were Nasroka and you had a cultural planet in front of you, you could just dig and dig and dig and dig and find a bunch of oh, Nasroka, you'd get even more, right? But ignore, or ignore that point. It takes three relic fragments to make a relic, 
and there are nine in culture. It's the only one with actually a divisible by three number in it. Uh, yeah. In the planet decks, uh, that is. Right. So right. a huge percentage of this deck is just cultural relic fragments, which I think in the early days is why people were very into cultural decks. We were all really into relics. And so we thought cultural was absolutely the best one to explore because you're digging for fragments. And if your strategy requires that you start digging for fragments, cultural still is kind of the best one to go for, just by, by sheer raw numbers, generally speaking. Although it always depends on where you're at in the game, right? That's why we have things like reporting decks in TTS, or at any point you can go look at the deck and see what's in it and just shuffle it up and whatever. You're allowed to know what's in the deck. It's always public information because every card right. is drawn face up. There's no secret hand of uh, fragments or of, of exploration cards. But the the gist is if you're just exploring for relics cultural is maybe the pathway to go until you get halfway through the game and then i don't know it depends on the percentage of what's in each deck you can have five out of seven cards in the hazardous deck be fragments and so then that's the best one to go for yeah absolutely and that's just something that you can obviously it's super easy to keep track of it um if you're playing on a you know a digital board game platform like tabletop playground um but yeah, in in real life, you can't. I I feel like I never do it in real life. I yeah, always forget right. to do it whenever I play real life games. Um, but yeah, you can always uh, check the deck, and you always should. Um, if you are relic hunting, right? Which we will talk about whenever we get to relics. We can talk about why would you be relic hunting? Yeah. There's really only a few reasons why you <laughs> would ever be doing that. But yeah. there you go. Yeah, I, I just think I want to stress, too, if you're listening to earlier stuff, in the early days, I think at least I was very hot on Relics, and I think a lot of the community was very hot on Relics, and I think we have learned with over time, the reason you're digging through Exploration Decks is not necessarily like just for fragments, generally speaking, past a certain point of the game. Then the only reason <laughs> to explore these things becomes fragments, right, at, at a certain right. point in the game. But in the early game, you're not really just like digging for fragments. It's not kind of the main thing you're after. Um, right. Well, let's talk about these 11 non-fragment cards then that are in our cultural deck. Uh, so three of them are what are called freelancers, which is that you may produce one unit in this system and you may spend influence as if it were resources to produce this unit. So for factions like Isarl, who at home have a 1-2 planet, they have a 1 resource, 2 influence planet, a freelancer can sometimes be really enticing around 1, because that's like, I'm, I can steal some added value here. If I wasn't planning on spending any of my influence on leadership, to, or on command tokens off of leadership, I might be able to get a little bit more boost out of all of this by spending that 2 bucks on like a cruiser or, or whatever. Um but the difficulty of freelancers is, like we said, we have to remember that this is, generally speaking, a round 1 kind of thing which is when you have the less the least amount of flexibility in your economy <laughs> round one you are making your right. dollars do incredibly specific things which means you don't always have just like the extra cash to throw it that dreadnought on the forward lines or whatever as much as you might like one freelancers is a much better card to get rounds two rounds three round four than it is to get round one right but it, obviously it's like most of the time when this comes up you're not in a good enough position to use it. Because the other thing that you have to remember is this is likely round one, maybe yep. round two. Um, and you have already activated this system where you're building these units. So this whatever right. this unit is that you produce is not going to be doing anything for a little while. Right. Um, the most critical use I've ever seen of freelancers was in a game we played together, Matt, where a Mahawked player was being bullied by you and a SAR player. Yes. Or, yep. yes. Yep. And they built their flagship... Yes. off of freelancers as a sort of 
okay, if right. I see you, I see you coming, <laughs> right. but but I've got this now. So yeah. um, and, and it, of course, and it worked. Has a five. It changed yeah, it, the scope of did. what we were able to do. That we were going to crush them under our thumb and had to right. completely divert plans. Right. Um. So that is a critical use of it. But in all of this time. Um, I would say 95% of games I see people draw a freelancer and they build, they refuse to build anything off of it. Yep. I mean, just yeah. like at all. And maybe would, if you have a trade good, you build, or two trade goods, maybe you build a mech off of it. It's not a bad mech build. Right. Um, right. But for the most part, yeah, I, I, I don't feel like I have seen yeah. people use I, it for much I do of kind of think this is definitively the worst of all of the exploration cards. Uh, the, the least useful of all the exploration cards is probably this Freelancers. So, uh, moving on, we also have uh, the Mercenary Outfit. Love a Mercenary Outfit. You may place one infantry from your reinforcements on this planet. It's a free half-resource thing of a forward infantry. It's sort of like an orbital drop, but it doesn't cost a command counter, and it's half the infantry. It's fine. It's There's nothing wrong with it it's not fancy but it's forward defenses right there's nothing wrong with extra infantry on the front lines yeah you're right but it also has no it's like i would put this pretty close to freelancers in my head because yeah. while mercenary outfit does for sure give you something every time a single infantry in a pok world is effectively meaningless unless it's like accompanied with other stuff right so i guess it uh, it does depend on like you know what planet it came up on what's really nice is when this comes up on a planet you explore that is involving a fleet that will eventually be being sent to mechatol exactly. like the ideal um situation i guess would be mercenary outfit on a planet and then you know you're the person with politics around one so you might be taking unless somebody takes it around one yeah um you, you might be taking custodians round two meaning that you have an extra infantry for that or even just one more infantry to leave behind that's my thing is in, in terms of thinking of it as like a round one thing that's going to feed into some more round two moving around i you generally are just barely taking enough infantry to even just capture these planets which means usually in round two a lot of people will end up having to leave planets empty because they only have enough infantry to like keep going and so i just love mercenary outfit as part of that slug trail you could leave behind uh, i just think it's useful in that way of of ha having a defense i don't have to worry about right this second uh you know round two i can survive without any snipe attacks on me because of my mercenary outfit but yeah extremely minimal value it's one of those things where it's like in a vacuum it seems fine when you compare it to everything else you can get in all of these decks yeah one infantry is a pretty lackluster well, uh, thing to acquire and honestly the thing about the cultural deck is i mean i don't know you know i i think overall um exploration whenever pok came out it was like a very exciting like new mechanic that we exactly. were like all you know buzzing about um at this point i would say like they kind of they kind of are what they are and they're just they're fine they're yeah. not supposed to change the game right uh, it, would too much. Like, it would be yeah, bad it would be bad it would be bad if they influence the game too much yeah um i still would say in my own personal estimation i kind of feel like when i have a high cultural um planet slice then one of the things i'm going to consider is that i'm probably not going to get a lot of good stuff out of the exploration deck maybe actually i would say best case scenario if i have a high cultural um planet 
slice is I might end up with a fragment, which is yeah. cool. It, it's always cool whenever you don't have to pay somebody for a fragment. Yeah, a relic uh, or just a or fragment. Sorry, yeah, yeah, a, yeah, a, a relic, relic because right. you, you got you, three out. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, cultural is the easiest place to actually get yourself that relic, whereas the other two are mm -hmm. a pretty big crapshoot. Um, so those are the only six uh, just sort of like effect cards. That's, that's the third category in these explorations. We've got fragments, we've got effects and then the last category here is our attachments like we said is which is kind of actually the biggest deal uh because these right. actually equate into points and also raw value throughout the course of the game right so that you double up on how much value you get out of these things um but the cultural deck is also the weirdest in that front the cultural deck is just the weirdest of the three decks turned yeah. out i i used to think cultural was just the best but cultural is just very very awkward our first explore is the dyson sphere and it adds two resources and one influence which is cool except when you consider the majority of cultural planets are a bit influence heavy i i right. think that's about right i think the cultural deck skews influence which then means more often than not you're gaining two resources on a planet you generally were intending to use for its influence value so dyson sphere can always be pretty awkward even though it's great i mean as an extra thing hey that's three bucks on the total of your planet or whatever but in general dyson sphere is good but it's the one that can be generally kind of awkward yeah just i mean obviously it just it just depends on you know what planet ends up on um if it gets on Semlor. Uh, this is how we get big lore, yeah. Um, which is what we like to talk about a lot. Um, <laughs> it is has definitely come up several times. I'm trying to look up what the uh, values for big lore is. Uh, five um, three, because similar is a three two, and then if you get Tyson yeah. Sphere, it's plus two plus one. So you have the five. You have the inverse Mahawked home system. You have a five three big lore. Yeah, and it's a yellow skip, which is yeah. great. Um, yeah. So there you go, big lore. Yeah. Got to get it. Uh, next up is hardly an attachment at all, and that's also why cultural decks are annoying. You can get the Gamma Wormhole off of a Cultural Explorer, but that, of course, does not go on the planet, which means it does not count towards the objective. So there are uh, one, two, three, four, five attachments here in the cultural deck but one of them is actually not an attachment it is it is just this gamma wormhole that of course gives you access to malice which is as useful as that generally is in the game i feel like normally the cultural explore of a gamma wormhole is less useful than anywhere else you might find a gamma wormhole i don't know why that is true it's probably not even true but it feels true uh, the problem is that it can be in a critical space like right next to your home system yeah. uh, which can be uh, especially at the very beginning of a game uh, kind of a super upsetting start. We're going to talk about another place where a Gamma Wormhole might show up, which is in the Frontier deck. And also, uh, what, you can get a Gamma Wormhole uh, through the the ghosts can just plop out a yeah. Gamma Wormhole. And we can also get a Gamma Wormhole through an agenda yep. on Mechatol Rex. Uh, and then obviously when someone opens Malice, like let's say they open Malice a different way. Well, now there's another way into your home system. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's it's never the best. It's not a huge deal. I, right. I feel like when I see it, it comes out at the right time where I'm the one that gets to yes. take Malice, then I'm totally fine with That's it. That's what it is isn't, nice about then I get it. bummed out. What's nice about it being in the cultural deck is it is inherently defended in you getting it, right? You you sent a ship there and then revealed the Gamma, and if that DET1 hasn't come out, the, free, uh, the Frontier 
gamma isn't out yet, then you have complete control over when you go through that gamma, and you will definitely be the one to unlock malice. So in that way, the gamma is sort of worth a three-influence legendary planet that gets Mm -hmm. you two trade goods. So... You know, we can't complain too much about the Gamma, but we always look at it as, like, an objective thing, and it's annoying that it's not in an attachment. It can the, the timing can be off, but it goes back and forth on whether or not Gamma is good or bad. Uh, so right. it's I, I think it's just awkward when you think about it in terms of all the other obvious boons you can get through exploration, where this is, like, one of those questionable things. Who knows if it's good? I don't know. Um, next up is the Demilitarized Zone. You'll hear it referred to as the DMZ. And this one is the most complicated one. You immediately return all structures on this planet to your reinforcements, then return all ground forces on this planet to the space area. And then when you attach this, units cannot be committed to, produced on, or placed on this planet. During the agenda phase, you can trade this planet as part of a transaction. So that's a lot of things all happening at once. The key point here is the wording of that card made it explicit that Nothing can ever go on that planet. There's no right. there's no side rule. Dane did a very good job on this card of making it where there's no weird half-measure, half-baked way to get stuff onto that planet. In this specific situation, so-and-so can... No, you can't no. put stuff on there's the no DMZ. Way around it. There's no way around it. That is your planet for as long as you want it to be. There's no way to take it except for extra who can diplomacy that away from you they can they can just acquire it because there's no units on it so that's the yeah. rough side of it outside that of that sucks. there's no other way to get it uh, aside from the agenda phase thing where you can trade it if you want to which is always a little bit awkward um so the nice thing about dmc is when it comes out round one and that's just a planet that's going to be yours but obviously it can be annoying if you wanted that planet to be a forward dock and the thing we used to complain about is in later explorers if you're doing a lot of continued exploration be careful of cultural decks because if your forward dock is already on a cultural planet right. and you start exploring it and you discover the DMZ, you lose all of that stuff. So right. don't do that. <laughs> if DMZ hasn't come out yet, you should not be using Scanlink or Nazroka abilities on cultural planets, basically. I've been in both situations at this point now where I've been in games where I am fishing into um, the, the exploration decks uh, and I am trying to avoid DMZ, mm-hmm. or I am actually specifically trying to get DMZ in right. order to lock down um, one of the uh, two, no, three legendary planets yes. that are cultural, um, which is insane. Why can't we have an industrial legendary planet? What's up with that, Dane? It's, it's like, what is the, what is the problem there? Like, yeah. I just don't get it. <laughs> What's your deal? You know, right? it drives me insane because as a map builder, I love to be able to have variety yeah. in things. And uh, not only are all most of the legendary planets cultural most of the wormhole planets are also cultural and if you're trying to include a this is the reason legendary planets and the wormhole planets are the reason why you don't see stuff like dalbutha exxon in very many of my maps because i don't have room for more right bad for more double cultural, cultural. planets yeah, i can't just right, put cultural right. planets on this thing when i'm there's already an assumed amount all over the place on the map so yeah very weird yeah. We need an industrial legendary, please. Yeah, please give we'll, it to we'll, us. We'll just put our nano forge on it. We'll talk about that later. Uh, okay, next up is the last two uh, actually standard attachments, which is first and foremost the Tomb of Amphidia. Yeah. Uh, this planet's val- influence value is just increased by one, but the tomb is something we'll talk about later, and it relates to a relic called the Crown of Amphidia. The tomb, while being just plus one influence, womp womp, is not only an attachment that could be worth a point. 
but the tomb itself, that planet, can be cashed in. The card can be cashed in as a point at the end of the status phase. It's notably the hardest relic to score uh, in terms of those points things, but it can technically be worth a point at some point in the game. So the tomb is always somewhat important of where it ends up if it ends up on the map somewhere. Uh, right. And then finally, the paradise world, this planet's influence value is increased by two. This is killer. Uh, most cultural planets have at least one influence, which means the paradise world is like a token in value. You 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 upgrade a planet by two, meaning it's going to be very easily afford you a token. Uh, of course, annoying when it hits the resource heavy stuff, but there's there's less resource heavy stuff in the cultural deck than anything else. So paradise world, I think for me is my favorite thing in the cultural deck. I think it's the best thing you can get in the cultural deck. Yeah, it's like the thing we can point to in this episode and say. This is pretty much always good. Yeah. Um. It's pr it's a pretty narrow. I mean, what what planets are there that where it would be bad? There's uh, Primor is awkward. It, it turns it into a two yeah. three. You one of the Dalbuth. You know, Dalbutha Exxon is like a zero two and a and a Abaddon. two zero. Yeah. There, yeah. There's, there's plenty of examples. There's plenty of examples out there, but the there's more examples of influence rich stuff where you know you get it and you you suddenly have a really great token generator. Yeah, but it's probably it's. More than likely, it's making a planet where you're basically getting a token for spending that planet, yep. which is like, you know, an ideal situation and, and something that you want in pretty much every slice. Yep. So cultural deck, like we said, um, kind of just the most awkward to explore, actually. There's there's all these caveats to everything you're trying to get. There's good and bad in it. Um, so it's at this point, it's not my favorite to be attempting to explore all game long, but I'm I'm not too upset if they're like in my slice but i don't know i actually i personally think that cultural is the worst deck these days there's debate and we'll talk about that debate later but for me my current ranking is cultural is not very good it's it's funny because it's like when you're when you're actually playing as nra i feel like there's something that kind of flips in my head a little bit of being like normally cultural might be my least favorite um but when i'm nra i don't really care what i get i just want uh i just want to make sure that i'm getting something all the time and the fact that there's nine fragments in the cultural deck just means like yeah sure whatever that's right. nine that's nine skips and command counters for me that's i'll take insane. it yeah and also the idea that you know i think you know the dmz given a specific situation can be very very powerful um the tomb if i'm playing as nra uh yeah i want right. to score that tomb point yep uh paradise world always good i think dyson spheres like all the attachments are fine the gamma is a little weird um but for the most part, I think like the the cultural deck stands up really strong if you are specifically farming. Yeah. I think the problem is that nobody is doing that right. except for NRA. So right. exactly, exactly. Uh, so next up, we have the hazardous deck. Uh, the hazardous deck out of its twenty cards, seven of them are fragments. So without a Nazroka in the game, you can really only make two uh things out of the hazardous fragments without the use of like a white fragment but right. very often there's going to just be hazardous fragments left over that nobody can actually use in any meaningful way which is the bigger reason to like never sell a relic fragment until the like you know it's going to get used on something right. or actually i guess you should be trying to sell always cuz the person might get actually no value out of it but you shouldn't be buying <laughs> fragments unless you have the plan in place to cash Absolutely. it in for a relic um uh, so Outside of that, uh, you've got 13 non-fragment cards. Our abilities that we can get 
are three volatile fuel source cards, which is, and this is true of uh, all of these ability cards, if you have at least one mech on the planet, or if you remove one infantry from this planet, you may gain one command counter. So volatile uh-huh. fuel source is do it every single time, no matter what. Kill the infantry. Love it doesn't it. matter. Yeah. I mean, I, I, th- it is so hard to come There's up with no a reason. There's no way you can convince me yeah. that you shouldn't be killing that infantry. What are you doing? <laughs> it's dead. Kill it. It's gone. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. You know? Especially when we're talking about round one, and it's like, that could be an extra uh, secondary or yep. that's an extra active like that's get that trade ship out that you didn't normally have the command not, token for even, even if you don't have anything to do yeah, yeah yeah just save it who cares just get it that value is so real to yeah. me yeah absolutely and and if you do have the mech if you're nasroka who starts with a mech or you're someone who gets a mech out early boy this is just what what a free 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 such good stuff uh next up yeah. is your core mining which is the same rules a mech or kill an infantry to gain one trade good this is the one where you'll see people waffle a little bit right obviously one trade good is technically Not more me. value than the infantry hunter just wants the dollar but it's you, dead kill it it's <laughs> dead i don't care it's dead now the argument you'll see people make is just the idea i mean uh, if you are very explicitly planning to like warfare and move on and you need that infantry to explore the next few planets or like you think you're going to get attacked you shouldn't think that paranoidly i don't think like it's pretty weird that someone would like come at you that hard but if you if you have really explicit plans of like further exploration uh further movement in the round that's the one argument i kind of give for like okay maybe the core mining is um a little bit tricky listen if you're having that problem you didn't plan right i explore (laughs) every hazardous planet ready to kill an infantry now that doesn't mean that i tell that infantry do you tell that infantry that on their way down like i expect you to die sir listen i empty so like i don't leave infantry on my home system round one anymore okay i just gum properly and send all those infantry out because some of them are gonna have to die okay yeah that's just how it goes and then of course you got a space dock back there you're gonna be building infantry later Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh just do that you know but yeah, you should you should always commit to a hazardous planet looking at it as if like you're going to need to kill this infantry. So there's always like the side um, system that yeah. you're going to explore. Those you don't even need to send extra infantry. You can just kill them right. and it doesn't matter because they're probably not going anywhere. Right. right. But yeah. That front one, you got to send some extra infantry to make sure that you can sacrifice them to the hazardous gods. Um, <laughs> Because that's that's what daddy needs to value. Yeah, daddy yeah. needs to value. <laughs> daddy all right? needs value. Uh, the daddy next, needs value. Uh, the next and last one is the most difficult value uh, because expedition is to uh, do the mech, do the infantry thing, and you may ready this planet. And in a round one context, this can mean some very different things because if your planet is the one three Meharzul, three influence. I don't know that we're going to ready that or, or even more. Has leadership popped? Has leadership exactly. popped? Exactly. That's the question is if leadership has popped, that influence isn't really going anywhere. I guess it's technically worth the same as a trade. If it's the one, three, if it's like a zero, two, if it's SIG, right? If it's zero, two, you may not do that because the two influence might actually go nowhere if leadership has already popped. But yeah, for true. most situations, this is like three bucks, two bucks. Hazardous planets are generally resource rich. That is the that is more often the case with hazardous planets. They have more resources than influence. 
And as long as it's not like the last thing you've explored in this round or whatever, and like you've already yeah. done a build or something awkward like that, if you intend to do tech or still build at a space dock this round, you better be ready in that planet for its resource value. Heck yeah. Yeah, I think it's like if you can spend it, do it. Yeah. If you can't spend it this round, then don't do it. Right. Don't just ready it for no reason. So right. you you just got to figure that out. Right. Uh, if it's just influence, you probably don't have. You probably can't spend it unless leadership hasn't popped. Uh, or you know, sometimes people have. I'm sure there's some weird story where somebody was like, "Yeah, I got to take Mexal Rex because uh, got to flip over, you know, yeah. Mir or whatever." I did expedition into a zero two into a freelancers and immediately used that zero two on a cruiser. That <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> There's weird stuff out there. Now, I've seen some of the stories. It gets real weird. But overall, you know, play it safe. And, and if you don't if you don't have something you can spend it on, then yep. fine, don't. But otherwise, like, most of the time you're going to be able I mean, come on. You got to kill it. Kill it. Right. Get money. Money's yep. good. Got to so, spend it. As you'll note, in the cultural deck, there were six ability cards. In the hazardous deck, there were nine because we added one extra flavor. We, we replaced a handful of fragments with this. And then uh, moving into our attachments, we just have four attachments, which is actually the same as the cultural deck when we took out the Gamma Wormhole. So our four yeah. attachments in the hazardous deck is first and foremost, the Lazax Survivors, which is to attach a one resource and two additional influence. And like we said, this is a funny inversion of the problem of... Uh, our Dyson Sphere Explore, uh, which is to say, more often than not, the two influence might go on an awkward planet. Your 3-1 yeah. Barrig becomes a 4-3? That's just, like, annoying and awkward to spend unless you're extra. Uh, but there are a handful of really influence-rich planets. Uh, you know, this is how you get Mirkatal. Uh, Mirkatal is Mir the 0-4 plus one plus two is a one six, which is exactly the value of Mechatol Rex. Yep. Mirkatol so, uh, rules. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the thing about Lazak survivors is like, yeah, it can get big value. You can get Mirkatol. Um, you also, you know, the one resource does, I think, ensure that it's, you're getting something out of this. That, that's what's right. good when you when you yes. draw it. You, you might see it as awkward, but as long as you're getting some value out of an attachment, I think it's it's worthwhile. So even if you end up with like the awkward Barrig thing, yeah. uh, having a four resource planet is is great. I mean that's home right. system level, I, so whatever. I have I'm in an async game right now where I have a four three Barrig, and guess what? It just means I like Diplo even more. Barrig yeah. is a is a token that I turn around Absolutely. and respend, or I spend it twice for eight bucks. That's great. Hey, eight bucks is is fantastic. I love that. So eight bucks uh, is neat. Yeah, like no, eight nothing bucks. wrong with it. Uh, next up is the Rich World, which is just to add one resource. Uh, so I mean, Lazic Survivors is two more influence than that. Rich World, you could have just had a Rich World and said you had Lazic Survivors. It's great. They're the same thing basically. And then finally, you have your Mining World, which is to attach and increase the planet's value by two resources. This is the juicy one. This is how you get your five one Barrig. Yeah. Or what have you um yep. yeah yeah big 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 time uh this is where uh you love getting forward docks on these planets right you get that five one barrig you can produce seven units out of just a single planet if you happen to double dock barrigler to four it's insane value i mean it's you you just have like the the greatest forward dock position you could possibly imagine that's my main desire it's not just the two resources it's the plus two production capacity potential 
Yeah, in this economy, you can't be passing on a mining world. You know what I mean? You got to take it. With inflation the way it's been, you got to take the mining world. I agree. I agree. And finally, we have our warfare research facility. Uh, All of our other research facilities are in the industrial deck, but we can get a red technology specialty added to a planet. If it already has the technology specialty, then you flip the token and you give it a plus one, plus one, which is similarly like awkward to the Lazic survivors, but not bad in either direction. Especially in the case of this one specifically, if it already has a tech spec, in the case of the Warfare deck, all of your tech spec planets are explicitly influence planets. Right. Uh, it's a 1, 3, or a 0, 4, which then means the plus 1, plus 1 is is fine. Like, more influence means, right. like, less, you know, trade goods you might have to send to attach onto that, you know? Turning uh, Mir into a a zero five means with one trade good that's two tokens by itself like the, the this is pretty good even when it hits the red skips you probably weren't using anyways i think red skips are like generally sort of the most awkward ones to use because they're always on high value planets that you don't really want to spend for the skip it's true um true. and so i never mind what this comes out on because i mostly i'm just happy to have an attachment here Although I will say this, I will use a red skip in a late game scenario to pick up like assault cannon for yeah. some reason that right. I didn't have access to. Um, if the red skip ends up on a planet that I don't really care about, you know, if it ends up on uh, that little one in the three planet home system or yeah, the zero one, system. the wriggle three yeah. or whatever. Yeah, it's either one of the wriggles or I think it's I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm thinking a wriggle one. Yeah, yeah. Wriggle ones like that. Um, there's I think there's another planet like that in the Abaddon Loki whatever yes. system. Yeah. Um but yeah, if it ends up on one of those, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Then it's like, I don't really have to think about it at all, and I can get my little red skip. But most of the time, I feel like, yeah, red skips are, you kind of just go for AI dev now. Yeah. Like, red, the red tech tree is all about AI development algorithm, right. in my opinion. Right. Um, so, like, that, that is kind of, it's kind of like a whole tech tree where we only talk about it in the context of this one very important one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the skip value is whatever. So across the board, Hazardous is regarded as the best of the decks because it is by far the most reliable value. Everything in here is almost always good. Expedition in bad timing is like the only thing in this entire deck that's like, meh, that was awkward and didn't come out at the right time. Everything else is always good. Uh, So, you know, you love digging through Hazardous stuff. The issue with that is in terms of farming Hazardous Planets, it's upkeep, right? It's either having a mech on a planet to babysit the free explorers, which is great, by the way. Getting just free tokens when you like activate your forward dock or something is fantastic. Sure, sure. I don't think of that as a problem. I want to defend my space dock with a mech, and I want to gain free value for doing it. Like, th- th- all of these things are points in favor of Scanlink, in my mind. <laughs> but even outside of that... The farming can be tricky because if the idea is you're going to always be killing infantry as you do these things, then the cost gets a little bit awkward. But I don't think that's how you're using the farming of any of these things. The farming comes in the way of, like, I'm already activating this. I don't, I don't think almost anybody should be using Scanlink of just, like, I'm going to activate so-and-so random planet over there right. to try and get an exploration card. We'll talk about that idea more later, but uh, I'll preface it here. Hazardous is the deck that I get really disappointed when I pick up a fragment. That's what. That's the mm-hmm. thing. That's the bad stuff in right. the hazardous yeah, deck that's is funny. the fragments. <laughs> because I'll take pretty much anything in that deck over those seven fragments. I don't want 
yeah. any of those. In the cultural deck, it's like, yeah, you draw a fragment, and you're like, yeah, okay. I mean, I was going to get a fragment, whatever. Yeah, right, like, right. On the first draw, it's like almost a 50-50 yep. on whether you get a fragment or you get something else. And even the good stuff in the cultural deck is a little more finicky yeah. than the kind of like absolutely always good yeah. of the hazardous deck. So yeah, the real bummer there are the, the fragments. Right. Uh, and finally, of our planets, we have industrial, our green planets. In here, only five of these are fragments, which means really... Purely through industrial planets, you can only make one relic. You would require right. either Nazroka or a white fragment from the Frontier deck to even make a second fragment here, or a relic here. So uh, industrial, absolutely not where you're going to be doing your farming. Um, and the other thing about it is there's three ability cards in this deck, but we've bumped our values up to four each instead of three each. So there's actually 12 total ability cards in here. And that's going to throw off our odds quite a bit because let's talk yep. about what these abilities are. Uh, first up is functioning base. You might you may either gain one commodity or spend one trade good or commodity for an action card. So again, the biggest context here for industrial planets is this is round one almost always, which means we probably don't have commodities, which means very often with these planets, at the very least, the first industrial planet you ever explore will almost always just be like, assume you're getting a commodity out of it. And then from right. there, you might do something else, right? So in a in a system with two industrial planets, that's deeply more interesting than having only one industrial planet in your entire slice, right? One industrial planet is just going to be awkward. Two industrials is one will make the second one potentially better of an explorer but here just to gain one commodity i say all this not to downplay the gaining of one commodity because these days people will wash you'll find ways to make that commodity have some value whoever has trade if you can get the ship near them it's it is made also awkward because it's round one and you don't have like a bunch of neighbors to just like instantly do it when when you get one of these cards in round two you're just money's just getting tossed around right you just get the right. commodity i have this commodity who wants to wash it right now boom okay we're done round one it's it's a bit more awkward because you're playing around trade timings but I, I do like that this is at least somewhat a reliable value, but it can be quite awkward in round one. Um, but how do you feel, Hunter, about turning the commodity of trade get into an action card? Um, I'm not that I'm not that interested. I'll do yeah. it sometimes, I guess, but right. I'm way more interested in just having the trade good. Most of the time, most of the games that I play, um, I feel like the people in it have sort of solved this, which is that everyone just courtesy washes yes. they just like they'll just take your commodity turn it into trade good and give it back to you because it, it's the idea that like at some point i'm gonna need someone to do this for me yeah and so therefore i want to do it for someone else and it exactly. doesn't even really matter if it's in this game or in the next game <laughs> so i feel like people have sort of just created this meta thing of like yeah the industrial deck yeah i don't know i don't really get the point of like kind of to trying to min max it yeah if we all just play nice it just gives you trade goods right which is a lot better yeah i do wish this had just been gain a trade good <laughs> instead of the the commodity snafu because with all things what we i think what we learned at high level ti is anything that is a questionable value players will turn into a a absolute exact, value absolute yeah. value so you yeah. might as well just have had a bunch of absolute value things handed around rather than this kind of rigmarole of everything else uh next up is your abandoned warehouses you may gain two commodities or turn two of your commodities into trade goods um depending on how many commodities you have what we have learned over time is because of all the things hunter just explained 
it is almost always better to gain the two commodities because probably Absolutely. you're just going to wash them anyways. You don't need to fret about the idea that someone might not do it. In most metas, people are just going to wash them no matter what. So even if you're already at two and you're Jolnar, gaining two more, you can probably turn those around into three or four dollars rather than just flipping the two on your sheet that you were going to flip anyways. Right. And yeah, I, I think, you know, I probably wouldn't agree to just wash two commodities for free from mm -hmm. my neighbor. Whereas like it's maybe that doesn't make sense. But like if they just have one, I'll just wash it. But if they have two, all of a sudden I'm like, well, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I definitely you definitely could talk me into it pretty right. easily. And, right. and, you know, maybe you commit just like the tiniest amount of right. val or even just say like yeah uh maybe a nice thing will yeah. happen i'll be like oh maybe a nice thing yeah. okay i'll wash both of them <laughs> exactly make me an empty promise and i will give you your two dollars back that absolutely. sounds absolutely <laughs> i love an empty promise you know because for all i know it's a full promise uh -huh. it could be anything uh next up and fi our final ability is the local fabricators you may gain one commodity or spend one trade good or commodity to place one mech from your reinforcements on this planet this is what you're looking for as that second industrial planet explore, basically. If you go and you explore uh, Arnor lore, you want Arnor to give you a commodity, whatever, and then you want lore to be local fabricators so you can turn that commodity instantly into a mech. That would be great. That's a, no, that's a wonderful combo of things to happen in the industrial deck. It stinks that it's so incredibly random that more often you get the local, local fabricators first and then you get the, the action card functioning base one second. And you're like, oh, this is not at all how I wanted this to play out. Right, yeah, this is the one to do, though, the local fabricators of, yeah. of, of any of them. If you're going to do the trade whatsoever, it's it's got to be this. Because, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll even spend a flip to trade good. I don't right. care. It, right. getting, getting that mech value is generally good. Now, sometimes it's on an annoying planet and you just pass on it because it's like, well, I don't want it over there because right. that's just in a weird spot. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of the times of the you know of the ideal two carriers that i'm starting with one of them is going somewhere and then probably not moving again yeah right. and i don't really care to have a mech underneath that one right um it might move again in the late game but i'm not going to place a mech round one on a planet and being like maybe it will go somewhere <laughs> on round five i don't know yeah, yeah um that seems a little weird Right. There's also all the factions that like have all these other various ways to get mechs out where you're like, ah, even at a dollar, I, I don't need the mech. Th I'm barony. I want to get my mechs out in right. a different way later. I, I don't need it's this true. thing right now. I'm, I'm a sorrel. I'm going to get the mech in a different way later as part of a different thing where I want it or whatever. So, it, yeah, it can be more complex than that, but it, at least it's actual raw value, right? It is uh, spending $1 for something that normally costs $2 yeah. sounds like a great deal to me. Um, so so that so far accounts for 17 cards, which as you'll note means there's actually only three attachments in the industrial deck, less than the four in both of the other decks. So if you're fishing for attachments, generally speaking, industrial is not where you need to go in a perfectly uh, balanced deck or whatever. But obviously by round two, things are always different. But here's your three uh, attachments. They're all the same idea. Propulsion research facility, cybernetic research facility, and biotic research facility. This is where your blue, your yellow, and your green skips are. Um, and what's worth noting here is all three of those, if they end up on a planet already with a tech skip, you add one and one to it. One resource, one influence. And the industrial planets, a lot of them have tech skips on them. So it's 
right. quite common, actually, that you get the blue on Tarman, and so then instead, Tarman is now a 2-2, which I'm not opposed to. That's fine to me. I don't know. What is annoying about all of these is the planets that don't have tech skips are almost always some sort of even value. Saudor is a 2-2. Arnor and Lore is a 1-2 or a 2-1. Yeah. Which means placing a uh, tech skip on it is not always a tech skip you're definitely going to use. If it was yeah. even in your tech path in the first place, it might be in a price range you didn't really want to exhaust as a tech skip during tech or whatever. So yeah. there, these are always kind of awkward. What's nice about them is it's an attachment and it counts as an actual tech skip, which if you're counting, that's two objectives it applies to. So right. handy in that way if it comes up on the right stuff. I would say it's way more handy in that sense. Yeah. You can always pick up psychoarchaeology, but I feel like as we've learned more about the game, more and more I feel like my tech plan going into any given game, especially if it's competitive, is very kind of like I'm going for this. Yes. I'm not going to account for like the random chance of, oh, I got an unexpected skip. Yeah. And now I'm going to research an extra tech right. in order to use it. That's the problem with the industrial um, uh, exploration yeah. stuff. Because, like, imagine, you know, you have a Cohen Jolier. You go to a Cohen Jolier and, <laughs> oh, I got a blue skip and a yellow skip on a yeah. Cohen Jolier. What a joy. Yeah. <laughs> I am ruined yeah. my life ruined <laughs> by this uh and am i gonna get psycho to even fix it i don't know i think i might just ignore that i yeah. even have the skips to right. be honest i just hope for three attachments to come out and i got two in the bag like or, or whatever yeah. it's it, there that, you go that's how that generally operates is in in the industrial deck it is more obvious than anywhere else that the attachments are just attachments for the objective and not really serving any other huge purpose um the one one it's so funny, too, because the inverse is also true. The planets with tech skips on them are even lower value. It's almost always a 1-1 one, right. one, or like a, the Aang is the only one. Is it Aang? No, it's is it? Yeah, it is. And it's a 2-0. Uh, there's also right. Lysis is like a 2-0 or whatever. Those are those are nice because then it's like a 3. That, that becomes actually kind of a decent forward dock or whatever. But in general, um, I, I just think it's kind of awkward uh, across the board. Um, but I have personally come to like the industrial deck more than i did initially initially i think i just thought of industrial as bad you can't go fragment farming and there's a bunch of ability cards that aren't useful and the tech right. skips are the worst but the more we play with people that just wash the commodities it's like well at least there's like 12 cards that just like earn you money yeah. i don't know that's pretty good <laughs> money's good uh and if if it's a place you can go to just get money and guess what there's only five fragments in there so you're likely not getting you're more than likely just getting some cash it's right. like above 50 percent as the yep. first activation that's not bad i mean like yeah. cash is pretty good you can do whatever <laughs> you want with it yeah. so that yeah. seems great yeah, I, and especially, too, if you consider it in this way of uh, if you are doing like a farming thing late game, not that I would suggest doing this, but it's like if you started with Scanlink or you happened to get it because it was like a part of a different path, having like a forward dock on a on a three resource industrial planet that you're then farming for more explorers um, is kind of nice because 
Scanlink is at the start of your turn, so you can gain some money that you could instantly turn around into impacting that build you were doing in that system right then and there. You know what I mean? Like right. there, there's an inherent value to instantly gaining those uh, commodities. So I don't know. I, I think there's fun stuff going on with the industrial deck, and I think it gets a bad rap for being the, the least glamorous um hazardous is obviously just better but it comes at a cost of course it's better it it has investment or cost attached to it industrial is no investment no cost just value and then cultural is like your random chance of whether it's good or not really anything at all right this is where i just get into my mindset nowadays is these three things are actually quite balanced. It's just a very balanced set of decks because they all have their yin and their yang. They have their pros and their cons, and it just depends right. on what you're doing with them. Yeah, maybe it, maybe you could kind of characterize it this way. Cultural has like a pretty low floor, high ceiling. Cultural can be really good. A lot of the times it's going to be just kind of meh. Yeah. Um, Hazardous has a pretty high uh, uh, floor. Um, and then a little bit higher ceiling. Uh, yep. It's never going to blow your mind, but it's like you're always getting some pretty decent value out of it. Right. Um, and then industrial, I would say, is like medium floor, medium ceiling. It yep. like basically never blows your mind, yeah. but it is always worth something, right. except for when you get a fragment. The fragments are the worst, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Can we just say that? Yeah. The fragments are the worst. And so that's, <laughs> that's the problem, is that the fragments uh, suck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, let's take a little break, and then we're going to get through the Frontier and the Relic deck, and then we'll sort of put all of this together. Okay, hello, and welcome back. Was that a nice little break? Uh, let's see, did you did you go exploring? Did you have a nice, did you pause <gasps> and take a minute and go just explore the wilderness with your uh, beloved tiger stuffed animal? Oh, this this is a good episode to listen to in the woods. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go in the woods. <laughs> or, or go in a park, and if, if you live in a city, maybe you can't get to the woods, maybe you just go to a park mm -hmm. and go in like a weird part of the park where there's not really like a path or anything, and you're kind of just <laughs> standing by like a bush and some trees. And uh -huh. it just kind of looks weird, and you're just standing there, like, completely still. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and that's how you should listen to this one. And you're, yeah. like, looking out right. through the trees at some people, like, maybe sitting on, um, like, enjoying, like, a picnic. Right. Oh, you um, should and talk like, to what us. Is... Like, respond to us as we're, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, Say, I agree. Speak yeah, out oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, what yeah, yeah. we're saying right mm -hmm. now. Um, and then hopefully they will notice you, and then you will have to go. <laughs> yeah. um, so, yes, please do that. That's the best way to listen to our exploration guide. <laughs> uh, the, the next deck here we have to talk about is the Frontier deck. Um, so the first and foremost thing to talk about this one is it is the best deck, but it comes at the greatest cost because the only way to touch the only way. these things is yep. to get the tech Dark Energy Tap, which costs you probably four bucks costs you a timing of the tech strategy card and requires you to just send stuff out into the void where there's not planets to gain and once a frontier token is taken you they don't come back unless empyrean is in the game or whatever so it's like these one-time use things like it's it's very restrictive despite being the best of the stuff right matt you actually misspoke though like big time oh, like you no. kind of had like a big misspeaky um and now you're sort of in trouble you can actually just draw the action card exploration probe oh just um, do and that play that it's really so you don't easy. have to do det you okay. can also just draw that one singular we... action card so you you are wrong yeah yeah can we you pause? are wrong can we pause for a second then um i just Let's would like pause. to okay so 
attention all uh, Space Cats Peace Trails on us. I'm I'm incredibly sorry for the errors of my yes. recent uh, misspeaking. Apology I'm, I'm sorry for the mistakes I've made. And uh, I just want everyone to know that I, I do know the Exploration Probe card exists. I just wasn't. I was trying to be broad uh, when I should have been specific. And um, and I hope you all can forgive me of this grievous mistake. You, you, <laughs> you are forgiven for your mistake. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's talk about what's in this deck. First off, there are three fragments in this, uh, what is now a 20 card deck. Uh, we gained <clears throat> some new ones. So again, you might be looking at your copy of POK, POK and you might say, there's only 14 cards in this Frontier deck. Well, you need to get yourself the six extra cards in Codex 3. You bud. gotta get Codex 3 or you're not a real gamer. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, three of these 20 cards, uh, to bring it up to snuff now with the other exploration decks, they're actually now all equi equivalent value, 20 cards. Three of them are wild relic fragments. They can be applied with any of the other relic fragments mm -hmm. for the third fragment. So instead of needing uh, three industrials, you can use two industrials and one white relic fragment to right. turn it into a relic. What's hilarious is based on specifically the wording of the white fragments, you cannot turn white three white fragments into a relic because all they are in is adjustment to the action presented on the other relic fragments abilities. You can turn two white fragments into a relic though with Nazaroka's with Nazar <laughs> promissory note because luckily they did write the action yeah, on that on one. That, on the, the promissory point is, note. <laughs> there is no action on the unknown yes. relic fragments. So, uh-oh, weird. Anyways, uh so white fragments generally perceived as d decent, fine, although what's hilarious is uh we'll talk about a thing in a minute that made made white fragments worse basically in context uh but let's talk about our 17 non-fragment cards um of course there's no attachments in here because there's no planets to attach to but there will be things that persist in the space and there will be similar to our other explorers abilities right there will be things that we do in the moment so uh, the first of our in-the-moment things is the two merchant stations that are in the deck, which is you may either replenish your commodities or convert your commodities into trade goods. So this is quite similar to, like, your abandoned warehouses in the industrial deck. And I would say, given where you're at currently in the moment, it is almost always going to be better, again, to replenish your commodities. Now... That's not going to be true if you, for some reason, are sitting on, like, three commodities, right? Obviously, you might as well just turn those into trade goods. Although, the timing of this, right, is such that you can do both, couldn't you? If you have commodities on your sheet and you have neighbors and you draw this card, can you immediately wash your commodities and then replenish the commodities? I don't know. I think this one's been up in the air, but I think recently uh, it they is. Shot it down. I think it does work that way now. Yeah. No, I don't think they shot yeah, it down. Yeah. I think now. Trades can happen at any time. Basically. Yeah, and so I think that actually made a couple like weird situations like that. I could be wrong though. Regardless, yeah, I mean it's just you replenish your. I mean, don't turn your your commodities into trade goods. Even if even if someone charges you one for it, it's more value yeah. to just replenish your commodities right. than flip them. The the problem with all this commodity stuff is we all got into this weird headspace where we thought commodities weren't valuable. But they like you. They are. They're still trade goods to other people. You can still, even if you're not Absolutely. immediately turning them into trade goods, you can give those to people in exchange for things, and it costs you nothing. So yep. gaining commodities is always better than just converting commodities because it is an actual gain. Well, I'll talk about a situation where. Yeah. Okay. Fine. We'll talk about the edge case. The edge case is, <laughs> um, we're at the end of the game, 
and uh, ten trade goods is the stage yeah, yeah, two yeah, objective. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I see. And I no see. one, no one is washing nothing, no yes. matter what. You're right. And then this is your way of getting four more trade goods, and oh, that brought you up to twelve, and now you're gonna win. You yeah. know, something like yeah. that. This this game is so stupid because you'll spend three rounds. Everyone just been like, "How can I scratch your back today?" And then round four hits, and it's every the gates go up. We're locked. Nobody touch anything. Nobody do nothing. Nobody no trading. Do nothing. <laughs> now we know what kind of game it is, and it's a game where I talk like this. <laughs> Uh, next up, we have the Derelict Vessels. This is what we're after in this deck. This is to draw is a good one. one secret objective. So there are two opportunities to draw secret objectives. Obviously, secret objectives are an incredibly limited economy in the game. You only get them when Imperial happens. And Imperial isn't even necessarily taken every round of the game. So any chance you can get to make one of your secrets easier to do or to even just get up to your total of three that you would like to score mm -hmm. is good. This is the best thing you can gain from any exploration across the in all four decks. This is it. This is the best thing you can get. Yeah, I would say one of the consequences of there being more cards in the Frontier deck is that you cannot uh, easily just depend on getting a derelict vessel the way you used to could. Yeah, which I would say did hurt DET and the Frontier deck a little bit. Everything that's been added into the Frontier deck is good. Right, but it it nothing can compare to right. drawing a secret objective. I mean, it's just the best thing you could do. Yeah, adding stuff took away from derelict vessel, which makes it worse for the for everybody. Even if the stuff was pretty good that got added. Right. Uh, our next ability is Lost Crew, which is to draw two action cards. This is the one you're a bit annoyed to get, but hey, action cards are action cards. It's going to be what it is. You you got a random draw to then draw two more random draws that may or may not be some sort of value. I don't know what to tell you. It's You are upset to get this one, I would say, generally speaking. Yeah, you might be, and then you like draw a card you wanted, and you're like, yay, yeah. or whatever. But yeah, <laughs> when, when you flip over this card, you are unhappy that is correct matt yeah uh and finally we have the enigmatic device there are two of these as well and this one you place in your play area and then it gives you an action you can take later which is to spend six resources and purge this card to research one technology so this one's handy because it would be ridiculous if it was just uh research a technology right here in this moment like a free tech right. would be pretty nuts and if it was like spend money to research a tech it would be annoying because there would be so many situations where you don't have the money online yeah and ready yeah. for it so instead it's the best of all the worlds because yeah it's six bucks which is like how much it costs to get your second tech off of tech which is like kind of pricey generally speaking but it's also a stall and it's out of tech tempo which is a huge deal just getting yep. ahead of tech tempo is actually very yep, very yep. good so this one i like even if i'm like oh i gotta come up with when i'm gonna spend six dollars that's gonna be awkward at some point yeah i don't i don't mind it at all it's really funny because in the original episode we uh, talked about this as if it was uh, way too expensive. Yeah. Um, I think it's. I think the price is perfect because it's a tech plus a stall, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So technically, I mean, I think for it to be its absolute value, it would be uh, four plus three. It would be seven resources or something like that. Yeah. Um, which doesn't that doesn't really make sense actually for what I'm saying. But I I'm just always imagining that you're spending trade goods on this. Right. Um. So that's why I say it that way. But um. Yeah. Uh, you got a stall. You got a late game tech you can pick up. Um, uh, you you draw this in round two. You probably don't use it till round four or five. That's right. kind of how this one goes. Right. 
Uh, next up, we have one of the additions, which is the single dead world, which is a frontier card that just lets you draw a relic. And that's what I was referring to earlier when I said the white fragments kind of got worse because a white fragment is like, oh, I made a relic easier to acquire, except yeah. I could have just drawn the card that gives me a free relic. Uh, right, that would have true. been kind of nice. Um, it's funny, too, because we talk about relics as being not a very worthwhile investment um, in terms of like do all those exploring of planets and then get fragments and then try to trade those fragments to get the right amount to then get relics. And then by that point, have you even gotten something worthwhile? But if you're just getting a free relic, relics are pretty good, huh? Like rel <laughs> relics aren't so yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd definitely rather have a relic than a single white fragment. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, next up, another addition in Codex 3 is the two Calaris ships, which is just to gain two command tokens. So for most factions, you probably spent a command token to send stuff out there. You get one back as, a, okay, this didn't cost you anything. And then this is like one on top of that. So realistically, this yeah. could almost read as gain one total command token. That's fine. Uh, to me, that feels more like a... Um, like oh, okay that's uh, at least i at least this didn't cost me anything but it's i don't feel like i got anything amazing out of this uh deal right um yeah it's it just kind of balances things out it it i think is dane's way of sort of saying listen i realize i'm making the exploration deck or the frontier deck uh larger yeah so that means i want to include um more stuff that makes it where at least it's an even investment uh, even as far as the, uh, not as far as the tech is concerned, by the yeah. way, but as far as the activation and moving the ship, right. you're at least like, well, I didn't lose anything. And yeah, I gained a little something for it. And I could have gained a lot of something. Right. I think that's what Dane likes. Dane wants to put you, Dane wants it to be a casino. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. But a casino where you never lose necessarily. Right? Yeah, sure, yeah. sure, sure. <laughs> you are the house. You never lose, but you might not, uh, necessarily. Got a little bit out. of insurance. Right. Essentially. Uh, next up is another, the, the final edition of this last codex and it's three entropic fields entropic fields i don't know i don't care uh th but these are they come in three varieties there is a minor there's a regular entropic field and then there's a major entropic field and these are to gain one command counter which is the same as that calaris ship thing right just like okay i get the token i spent back or whatever right. and then the minor is to also gain one trade good the regular is to gain two trade goods the major is to gain three trade goods so only in the major is it even technically equivalent value to the calaris ship um, right. But in the miners' case, it's actually uh, this is horrible. Actually, this is the worst thing you could get in this entire frontier deck, outside of a white fragment that you're never going to be able to use in a meaningful way. Essentially, um, but gaining one command counter and one trade good is, I would categorize as pretty annoying uh, for all the investment I went through to even be able to have access to doing this ability. Hey, at least you got a trade good. I mean, sure. that's something. It's it's not nothing. The the next three we're going to talk about range from all right to bad yeah <laughs> and i would say minor is is never bad it's just meh but yeah. it's at least always meh right the next three can be a disaster right so next up we have uh the gamma relay card which as we talked a bunch right. earlier this right. is where our other gamma wormhole can be right so there's you know whatever this is what it is um if it's the only one on the board Again, you likely have it. You have a defensive position here. You probably get to control the timing of when you go through malice. You probably are the one getting malice and the two trade goods off of the ability the first time you get it. Um, that's not as guaranteed necessarily, but it's it's more or less a, a good shot. So gamma, all the same things we said about it above a cultural deck it, you apply here. Um, it's fine. It's good. It can be fine. Uh, next up is the ion storm card, which comes with a token. 
that you place uh, in the system, you place the Ion Storm token in the system, which with either side that you choose, uh, which has an alpha wormhole on one side and a beta wormhole on the other side. And you can pick which side goes face up first. Uh, then you place this card in the play area at the end of a move ships or retreat step of a tactical action, which is incredibly specific wording considering all the other ways we've come up with movement these days. But after those two instances of movement uh, in which one or more of your ship's quote unquote use the ion storm uh flip the token to the other side so to to use it means to actually go from one wormhole to another not to like walk through this tile on the way to other stuff but if you actually go through wormholes as though they are adjacent to each other you then flip the ion storm to the other side um I hate getting the Ion Storm because it's rarely a boon to what I'm having to deal with. Sometimes it's given me access to a side of the board I maybe wasn't going to have access to, but more than likely that actually feels like other people have access to my side of the board that I was effectively I, um, avoiding actually so far. dislike both of these. I do not like the idea of placing a wormhole in an empty space that might be near my mm -hmm. home system. I would yes. much rather draw the cultural gamma wormhole then i would place a gamma yep. in the empty space next to my home system because i'll have an easier time defending a system next to my home system that has planets in it than i will one that is empty and also i will defend it at kind of a large cost to myself the idea of just placing lots of ships in an empty system to basically say, all right, well, I can't just leave one ship. You know, I can't yeah, just leave the single right. destroyer there in the late game right. because then that's the wormhole they're going to be coming through at me and all it will cost is sending in, what, two cruisers? Right. And then they send in the big ship after, or yeah. the, the big fleet after it. Um, So that, that part is a little bit annoying to me. So I can't say that I necessarily love either. Now, they are frontier um, explorers. So we are not necessarily always placing those wormholes in our own slice. We might be right. halfway across the universe at this point. Right. So it kind of depends on that factor um, quite a bit. But overall, I don't really, I don't really love either of these yeah. too much. I don't really like wormholes yeah. being placed uh, in 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 general. I love, um, I love when they end up in an advantageous place for me. Yep. Um, but you know, if you're the one finding it it's more likely to me that it's a disadvantageous situation for you. So yeah. I guess the way I would put it is this way. I like that these are in the deck when someone else finds them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is, this is what you hope the, the other, the only other person at the board racing you on DET stuff, they need to get all of these and you get all the secret objectives. I get and all the other hunky things. Dory. Yeah. 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 Uh, the final one is the weirdest one. And it is the Mirage card, which is to place the Mirage planet token in this system. You gain the Mirage Planet card. Uh, you gain it readied, and you purge this and card. And you explore it. And you explore it instantly, as if you just gained it, like you normally would. So you get this planet, you instantly get a cultural explore, and you get a legendary ability, which is at the end of your turn, to gain two fighters in a system. Well, two fighters is awkward, because you may have explored this system without a ship with capacity. So it might mm -hmm. not be two fighters here. That's not the end of the world. Two fighters somewhere else is fine. But what you've generally done is sent a destroyer out somewhere and then spawned a legendary planet that you are not prepared to defend in any meaningful right. way. Right. Now that is even maybe sometimes fine, but there are many situations where that can be an absolute disaster because make history 
is an objective that everyone's hunting for legendary planets and uh, anomalies. And suddenly you've put a very free real estate planet out there that everyone wants to come after. You're definitely not keeping that thing in any meaningful way. You are going to lose Mirage and uh, it's going to be quite annoying for you. Um, so Mirage is certainly the most awkward of all of the things that can appear in pretty much any of these decks. It can be great. It can be a wonderful thing for you. But also, the the story that we've all heard and seen before is when you're trying to do the deep space objective, uh, is it explore deep space, where you want three systems without planets, and then you happen to do this explore, and you spawn a planet, thus making this system no longer applicable to the objective mm. you are trying to score. Uh, mm -hmm. That's pretty rough, bud. Yeah, I want to make an argument here that Mirage is actually more often bad than good. It's yeah. I I would say very rarely good because while yes, there are some objectives that it plays into, the secret objective you just listed out, the the likelihood that the secret objective is in someone else's hands instead of your hands though is high likely, uh right. much more likely because there's five of their hands and there's only one of yours. Yep. Um so you get Mirage without really planning for getting it. Nobody is going to plan around the idea that they're going to draw one particular card from the Frontier deck. So I would say every time someone has gotten it, it is a surprise. Yeah. What do they get <laughs> for that surprise? They get two influence uh. at, you know, that they, they probably gained Mirage round three or round four or God forbid round five. They're getting two fighters and they suddenly have an unplanned legendary planet. It is, I think, not that difficult yeah. to imagine... These situations, I would say, are not quite so random that, you know, if you have shard, now we are at risk. Yes. Uh, if, if you needed that space to be empty, now it is not. Adding a planet into a system and changing its status from emptiness to now it has planet in it, I don't think you get enough to justify that drastic yeah. a change. It's actually a pretty big status change right. for Twilight Imperium. Um, so I don't. I would just argue that I, I think Mirage kind of sucks. I, yeah. I I don't think you're getting anything worthwhile. If if that legendary planet ability was was better, um, yeah. I would probably change my tune. But two fighters is not enough to really make me feel like it's it's worth that yeah. aspect of it. Yeah, it is. It is easily the worst of the legendary abilities, and on a planet you have no feasible way to defend it, it is pretty much up and down bad that's the shard situation you just described too is by far the worst scenario because shard you lose if you lose control of a legendary planet and like you design strategies around whether or not you are controlling legendary plants we today at the end of this episode we have a wonderful little uh story of this imperium life play of the week that will make this kind of stuff very clear uh legendary planets are important in how you control them in in a lot of games to, to the effect of, if you get the Shard of the Throne, I would maybe stop exploring with DET until this thing comes up somewhere else. Like, I would just avoid the chance of that happening because of how yeah. absolutely you are going to lose that Shard if this comes yeah. up. Yeah, and and it's like, it's if you draw a Shard, well, guess what? Something kind of unlikely happened to you. There's not that many, you know, right. we're all, if we keep playing Twilight Imperium, we're all going to have those games where we draw a Shard, but what, percentage-wise, it's going to be pretty low, yeah. right? Yeah. Those games where you get it. So, like... If, if I'm in a game and I draw a shard, I'm like, wow, something unlikely happened to me, which means it might be a day for unlikely things to happen. Yeah. 
<laughs> Let's not tempt fate. Let's not <laughs> mess with Mirage anymore. It it I'll say this about it though. I, I don't want it to sound like I'm just saying it absolutely sucks. What I'm saying is that it is uh it's hilarious. Yeah. And and it's it's a fun it's it's either just a goofy nothing or a sad uh joke that hurts you. And right. I'll be laughing if I'm one of the five, but if I'm you, then I'm not laughing. And I'm now I, I'm sad, like a sad clown. Okay, that wraps up our frontiers. Uh, it is time to also, uh, we wanted to cover relics here. Uh, although I will say again, we did a relic episode not too terribly long ago. I think a lot of that stuff yeah. is relevant, uh, but we want to make sure that those things are covered here. So we will talk right. about all of the relics uh, to reiterate too. Uh, the fragments all feed into the relics. You either need three fragments of a matching color substituting any possible white fragments from the frontier deck in. And then there's all the Nasroka stuff that we could go on and on about. But in general, you need three per to actually get a relic, which means in most games you see what maybe two relics on like a, in a normal game, maybe an average of a little over two, two to three relics per game or none at all. Or I don't know. It just depends. Just depends. Yeah. Um, you, you might have a wild, a relic game or you might not because it's dependent on so many factors yeah. it's dependent on your rng of what how many fragments you end up with what faction you are playing what other factions are in the game um obviously nra is a really big influence on this although i would also argue any trade yeah. uh leaning faction is going to influence this Empyrean's is going to influence this hakan is going to influence this yeah. um like yeah it, it's sky's the limit on uh on the um, the amount of variance right. you might have as far as how many relics you could have and also personal preference i don't prefer right uh to go after relics that much um so i won't have as many as like a player that yeah. really prioritizes i was them. i was even i was saying even across all six players like three in a game is maybe normal for the total number of relics Does yeah for a non-nra game yeah, yeah totally yeah, for a non-nra totally. uh so let's talk about all of them first up we've got the prophet's tears when you research tech, exhaust this card to either ignore uh, one prerequisite or draw one action card. Uh, the theme with many of these relics is the earlier you get them, the better, because uh, they have persistent effects that would be more useful all game long, as opposed to the alternative. Getting this at the end of the game is pretty annoying. In fact, if you're just doing digging for shard stuff, this becomes completely useless if it's like after the final tech pop or whatever. Right, yeah, um, I would say... Most of the time, the, any of the ones that we're going to say are are bad in the late game uh, means that, you know, how often are they going to come out individually? Not super often. How often is it going to be in the late game? Uh, I would say about half the time you yeah. end up with late game relics as opposed to early game relics. So, and, and late, I would say for a relic is like round three. Yeah. Because round round three and, and, and after, you're talking about maybe one or two uses out of it if yep. it's this type of relic. Yep. Um, but, you know, this one's fine to have outside of that because it's just a free total prerequisite of no specific color. You can you can get a final upgrade that you need or whatever, but you, you can you can read this and immediately understand its value. Uh, next up is the Obsidian. This is the big one, or one of the big ones. Draw one secret objective. You can have one additional secret objective. So not only is this an out-of-cycle draw, out-of-tempo secret draw, but it also increases your total. We call this effectively a bonus point because right. it changes the math entirely on what your point total can easily get to this can get you a tenth point without uh too much difficulty it's it is a soft bonus point because you still ought to score the secret objective but you have access to it 
I like it better than shard because yeah. it will allow you to to draw a secret and then you don't have to change your entire strategy like right. shard might. Right. And also doesn't have the pitfall of, you know, it just has the normal pitfall of a secret's a secret and you can score it or you, or you can't. Um, but, you know, it doesn't add some sort of late game uh, emphasis on defending your home system yep. or, you know, l like basically just allowing your neighbor to clown on you or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it is. You can't lose it, but you may not actually get it. <laughs> so uh, whatever. Uh, next up is the Dominus Orb. Before you move units, purge this card to move and transport units that are in systems that contain one of your command tokens. Uh, so Dominus Orb... I think it's one of those ones when it comes out, you go, ah, that's fine. And some games you may never find a use for it. And it's not like it's the kind of thing where it's defensively useful. There's just some games where it never even gets touched and it just wasn't a thing you had. Um, but sometimes it's a, it's a game changer, right? Sometimes it makes a move possible that can give you a game winning maneuver. I've grown to like it more yeah. and more. Um, I think there's a lot of different ways to, to utilize it. That can be interesting in the late game. It's obviously way more useful for, um, you know, wind slaying a, a player, but also it can help you uh, score a, a tricky secret objective. Um, I would, I would take, I would take it like actually more than uh, some of the like more boring, just kind of general helpy ones yeah. actually, because yeah. I, I feel like if I draw it, I'm gonna be able to come up with some sort of play for it, right? Because it's also allowing us to move super far as well. We're getting to move once. And then we purge it again, we move again, yeah. which is wild. Or another use that I don't think it's talked about as often is the way it can almost function like a like a super sling relay, which is just that like I can just build out of this dock and I will get to use all of those things I built this round if I want to. Like I I can just mm -hmm. spawn ships and then go immediately use them on like my next action if I need to. So it, it can right. give you opportunities in a lot of different ways that I think get undervalued. Yeah. Next up we've got the codex which comes with a stall. It is an action itself, and that action is to purge this card and take three action cards of your choice from the discard pile. The Codex is not too bad because, A, it's a stall. We love that. And it is generally somewhat known information, right? It is it is discard pile. Now, what's in that discard mm -hmm. pile can vary a lot, but... People are using good cards, and then you get to get the best of those cards. This is not just drawing three action cards. This is getting three action cards that you can make a plan out of. And you can get this codex and immediately start paying attention to the discards and constantly be formulating new plans as you go and then decide to use this in the moment when everything is actually falling into place in just the right way or whatever. I, I, right. I like the codex quite a bit because you can get some pretty insane opportunities out of it. Um, even just replaying a card that you yourself have. If you've got a card and you want to use it twice, the codex can help you do that, let alone just getting stuff that somebody else used that you don't have as much control over. Yeah, I think this one is pretty good. Um, I think it's really easy to imagine a lot of situations where this will uh, save your game or improve your game or help you lock down a victory or even you know sneak into the the winning spot etc uh -huh. um i i think it's a little more reliable than even uh dominus orb yeah. so i yeah i would put it probably above Don dominus orb yeah. um i like i like both of those uh relics though uh, what I don't like is some of those ones we're about to talk about. Yeah, next up is Maw of Worlds. At the start of the agenda phase, purchase card and exhaust all of your planets to gain one tech. This is a gain. This is not a research. You can get any tech you want. Um, what realistically happens with that, though, is there's not that many techs that you could gain that are 
crazy game changing for you that you weren't already on a pathway towards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. The most common thing to get here is light wave. And very often you like already have DET and gravity drive and you're like a blue skip or one extra tech away from light wave anyways. This is just saving you a little bit of time. And you had to sit out an entire agenda phase to get it. Yeah, I don't even think about it that way. I think about it like it's it's probably assault cannon most of the time, right? right? Like I, I bet if we polled everyone as far as what did they maw, yeah. The the I bet the top two are um assault cannon and um war sons. Right. Uh, and the war sons, that's a joke and y'all need to calm down. Um <laughs> but like assault cannon, yeah, that's nice, and there's really no other way to get it, right? Most right. of the time, um, unless you're playing a specific faction where you can maybe work it in a little better. But yeah, uh, using this to get light wave never feels very good. There's so many factions where we just recommend blue, and the fact that you have to set out a whole agenda phase means we can find those little examples of times that you know someone played Maw and they picked up assault cannon, and then they were like, "Wow, that cost me a point yep. because uh, you know." Uh, something like mutiny came out and uh, then I was just sad. Right. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's like, it sounds good, but the fact that it, I, I kind of wish it just gave you a tech. Like, right. I'm not sure why you have to sit out. Like yep. it's, it's uh, one, one tech of any type isn't, you know, isn't that good. I mean, uh, obsidian or sorry, Dominus orb is over. Well, obsidian is a good example too, but Dominus orb is over here. Not as, you know, not as, good as far as i feel like the way people consider it i think it's better but it's allowing you to break like the cardinal rule right. of twilight imperium whereas ma is just like yeah get assault cannon okay cool but the problem is that the deep tech aren't really that good anyways yes. besides light wave right. so what what is ma for exactly yeah yeah it's rough the only thing i want with ma is to get it round one and like have an agenda phase round one and get integrated economy, like the rare early game integrated economy where actually this might have an impact on like game long stuff versus just yeah. like a tech I might use in the late game. I like Whoop that. Um, so next up, we've got the crown of Thalanos. Womp womp. We've always hated this one. This used to be an agenda during each combat round. This card's owner may reroll any number of dice and add plus one to the results. Any units that reroll dice, but do not produce at least one hit are destroyed. Uh, there are statistical ways you can look at this and see who it works better for and who it doesn't work as good for. Uh, but the fact that you can lose units is pretty annoying. There's times when that works. I don't know. I I don't like Crown of Thalnos, even though I think it's one of those ones where people are like, it's undervalued. Um, that's probably yeah, true. Like I still hate wise. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a little too complicated for uh, people as stupid as us to uh, understand what's good about it. And the feeling <laughs> that I get from the people that do understand what's good about it is that it is marginally good than if you just sort of hated it okay so <laughs> i'll say we sort of hate it and you can say well math wise it's actually not that bad and then i'll say that's fine and then you'll say that's okay well as long as you've heard me and i'll be like yes i have hurt you and you'll be like good i'm i'm glad i feel listened to on this show and I'll be like yes but people don't come here because they think that me and matt are some sort of math wizard we've been doing this for almost five years now Next up is the Crown of Amphidia. After you perform a tactical action, you may exhaust this card to explore one planet you control. At the end of the status phase, if you control the Tomb of Amphidia, you may purge this card to gain one victory point. So it can be worth effectively the worst kind of objective you can score, which is to mm -hmm. say at the end of the status phase, 
Uh, if this is a late game thing, you may not get to the status phase you're trying to score that point with. Uh, that that, oh, is, yeah, that, that seems to happen more often than anything. That round five, someone gets the crown and the tomb in the same place, and someone's going to win before they can score their tomb point. Um, but even outside of that, I don't know, an extra exploration uh, per per time? I, I don't hate that i mean if we're talking this whole episode about like exploration can be kind of okay and 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 if this is saving me a tech of scan link or whatever i don't know the ability is is fine um it's once per round so that's not anything to write home about um yeah um i it's it's interesting to evaluate this one because i would say the effect is you know kind of bad but the um the fact that you might get a victory point means that I have to say that it's better than most of these right. that we that we talk about, right? Um, because of that that possibility, yeah. Um, and the fact that it gives you you know a way to keep looking for the tomb. It just the thing about this one that's like tough. Um, in in a vacuum, it m- might sound confusing for us to bring this one up and be kind of like, uh, yeah, whatever. Um, is because you haven't had that game yet <laughs> where you get the crown early and you sp- just spend all game hoping for the you know just thinking about the tomb and uh-huh. hoping for the tomb and looking uh-huh. for the tomb and and then no tomb you know and then the game just kind of ends and you lose and you're just sort of like man i that was like like six hours yeah. like i could have been thinking, i could have like, been using my crown on hazardous planets this whole time and getting like free command yeah, tokens and that's stuff. the problem yeah. matt is that the tomb <laughs> is cultural yeah and if it was in the hazard deck we'd be getting all types of goodies yep. the whole time yep the value is off. I would just, you get the crown, and if the tomb hasn't already come out, ignore that part of the card. Just get Maybe, this for the yeah. value out of the hazardous deck. Just do what yeah. is best for you. Don't don't seek the, the the victory point, even though it's more fun to gamble. Uh, uh, you're probably not scoring that victory point anyways, even if you find the tomb. So, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Next up is the Shard of the Throne. You know it, you love it. When you gain this card, gain one victory point. When you lose this card, lose one victory point. When a player gains control of a legendary planet you control or a planet you control in your home system, that player gains this card. So it's a hot potato point that applies to your home system and any legendary planets you control. And that legendary planet is the toughest part of this thing because most people can make a point to defend their home system. That's what you should do when you draw mm-hmm. the shard okay i have even more incentive to, to hold on to my home system but i was doing that anyways because i want to score public objectives but suddenly having to put all of my energy into defending malice right that is a trick of a different color that's that's mm-hmm. annoying um but worth it for the victory point the thing about shard is you should always evaluate it this way anybody getting shard of the throne means we all might have shard of the throne it's not that person's point that they guaranteed have unless it's their 10th right. point and it wins them the game at any other time the shard can be taken away yeah it's true um yeah i it's it's a wild uh point it's probably one of the most fun cards in the game is shard but yeah you got to be careful it, it's 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 kind of a monkey paw situation it's why yeah. you know we say obsidian is better because no one can take it from you yep. you know uh shard the second you draw it it is now on everyone's radar um and they have no reason not to think about it but it's also the thing that you know most commonly uh at the end of a very strange very long tournament game (laughs) everyone will be fishing into the into Uh the decks in order to draw more relics and they'll be figuring what their percentage chance (laughs) is to draw shard and it will be their last point or whatever um so there's that aspect of it um it also makes me hate legendary planets i'll tell you that much it makes me start thinking about legendary planets and be like are these things overrated right i mean you can lose shard with them you know especially mirage oh my god two fighters and then i lose shard like that sounds horrible yep 
yeah, if you're about to go fishing, I would find a way to offload your legendary planet beforehand. And then if you get the shard, like we said, stop exploring frontier cards. You're done. Mm -hmm. You do not need to find that mirage because you will lose shard. Stay away from it. Uh, next up, we got the Scepter of Emilpar. When you would spend a token from your strategy pool, you may exhaust this card to spend a token from your reinforcements instead. Uh, this yeah. one's fine. It's a little Hunter's Law thing. Again, if it's the thing you get in like a lucky round one relic scenario, cool. When you get around three, it, say it was two tokens. It was worth two tokens, maybe. That's fine, I guess. It's good. It's It's whatever. It's in the middle of the pack here of relics, I would say. Yeah, I mean, what, its max value is probably five command yeah. tokens, um, which is, hey, I mean, that's not nothing, but it's not five at, at once, or yeah. it's not five, you know, it's like, it's just, it's just a kind of overtime thing. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not bad. Um, it, it, it very routinely comes out at a bad time, but yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, stellar Converter is a stall as an action. You may choose one non-home non-legendary planet other than Mechatolrex in a system that is adjacent to one or more of your units that have bombardment destroy all units on this planet and purge its attachments and its planet card then place the destroyed planet token on that planet and purge this card you remove a planet from the entire game this can be useful when you are trying to take away control objectives from someone else it can also Mm -hmm. be hilariously useful when you want to destroy a planet so that a system becomes planetless and thus now can allow you to score explore deep space it is the opposite of our mirage problem we can create a system with no planets if we want to yeah um it's neat uh it's it's dumb uh but it's cool uh and it's bad but it's cool um that's how i would describe (laughs) it dumb bad and cool which is some sort of weird golden triangle of uh twilight imperium uh but it is definitely cool and whenever it uh whenever it matters which is not often uh it is you know it's very fun kind of tournament moment when somebody uses a stellar converter in an interesting way I've seen people also recently sort of argue a little bit more in its favor, saying it's not a, like this one used to be the classic, like, oh, I'm so annoyed. Like, this is the worst one I could have possibly gotten because it's like inherently something you don't do for yourself. Right. It's just a bad thing you do to yeah. someone else. And that doesn't necessarily improve your game in any meaningful way. But this is uh, different than some of the other things we described, because this can have that defensive quality. Right. Uh, I, I can have this as a gun on the table for the rest of the game, and anybody who wants to do me wrong, I can threaten them with a Stellar Converter at the very least, and that might hold some weight. So I kind of understand the meta value of a Stellar Converter just sitting there. Um, and yeah, I, it's it's not it's certainly not in anywhere close to the top of these relics, but I do think for a while we have undervalued it, if only just slightly. Yeah, all right, fine. Maybe slightly. <laughs> Maybe slightly, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay, and the, the, we have three more here. We have covered the 10 from uh, the base set of Prophecy of Kings, but there were three more released in a codex, uh, and we will describe them here. There is JRXS4550, the Lost Titan prototype, or you will hear us refer to it as Junior. Uh, Junior is an agent that you can gain. It is a relic that you then set next to your other agent, and it operates under all the same rules as an agent, and it is an action to exhaust this agent and choose a player. That player may spend three resources to place a structure on a planet they control. If they do not, they gain one trade good. 
So the trade good part is to say you might have all the structures out that you want to have out and you still want to have a thing that has at least some sort of value so you can gain a buck. Also, you might not have three bucks you want to spend. Junior is notoriously difficult to sell to other people because for me, as the person holding Junior, I mean, at the very least, I can get a dollar for it, right? So I should ask right. if someone else wants to buy it for two bucks and then they have to spend three of their own bucks on the structure that they want. So they're talking about a $5 investment on maybe a forward dock. And in some cases that might be worth five bucks, but in a lot of cases it is not going to be. So Junior seems like it could be a cool thing that you like work around the table, but more often than not, you get all your space stocks out and then you just start getting trade goods. Yeah, it's true. Um, I think that overall, um, this one is kind of a great, a great kind of middle, maybe even leaning like towards the better half. Um, just because I do, I do like anything that helps me get outside of the tempo actively. There's yes. like the tech one that just like helps you skip, but it doesn't actually give you yeah. any more tech. It's almost like I just, I gotta at least have something that gives me some, some tempo yeah. somewhere um, to make me feel good about a relic. And this does do that. And yeah. it's with like, it's kind of your only way around the whole um, structure tempo thing right. being tied to construction. So well, it's, I think it's good. It, it, it can be extra good too, because you can have those games where the structure tempo gets even worse than like a stand, like just construction doesn't get taken three rounds in a row. And then you get junior and you're the only one able to score three outside of home or four structures, even as the stage one, right? You can look at a stage one scenario and see that nobody else is scoring this structure objective. It is too late, but junior not only is going to keep you alive, but actually now it's even more sellable to everyone else because everyone else would like to also gain that structure tempo to to, to find a point out there so yeah I, I think junior is all right um in in the slew of things uh next up we've got nano forge as an action attach this card to a non-legendary non-home planet you control its resources and influence values are increased by two and it is a legendary planet now, it doesn't come with a legendary ability, which is funny to me that all of our other legendary planets explicitly have abilities. This one just counts effectively for the two objectives that reference legendary planets uh, uh -huh. and, and shard. You can make nanoforge where shard becomes a target on the board or whatever. And then the plus two plus two is awkward because... You're increasing both values by two, which really generally only means one of those is actually useful, unless right. you're extra, right? And then it's like, okay, Nanoforge is awesome, plus four. But you're cow. getting to choose, Matt. So sure. I mean, like that—that's you're it's not nice. you're going to do it in a way that you like, right? You know? Right. Uh, but I would say of the new additions to the relics, this is my least favorite one. This this is, doesn't do much for me. I still put it in the bottom half of total relics. Yeah, I don't like that it makes it a legendary. I don't know why you would want it to be a legendary. Right. That's the problem. Right. I mean, there's the one secret objective, and besides that, it's all kind of downside, and yeah. so I don't know. I definitely don't love it. it. Like, let's say I'm playing NRA. That's like, it's like my least favorite if I'm playing NRA, because yes. I'm basically saying, I'm playing NRA, which means I want to, to, to mill the relic deck for everything, yep. and I literally got something that makes shard significantly worse. Yep. Like, that's annoying to yep. me. Yeah. It's one of those things where... My number one problem, as we're wrapping up our Relic conversation, my, my problem with Relics is they're not tradable. I wish Relics were another tradable thing. Yeah, and if I could resource. give the Nano Forge to someone else, if they need a Legendary Planet or whatever, mm -hmm. and I can have a stiff markup on that and make some money, that would be awesome. But no, sometimes Nano Forge just sits in my area and I go, I, I really don't have a reason to put this anywhere. And so it will just stay here in my hand forever uh, until the game is over because I got an early shard or whatever as NRA. Yeah. Uh, right. Rounding it out with our 13th and final relic is Dynamis Core, 
while this card is in your play area, your commodity value is increased by two. And as an action, you may purge this card to gain trade goods equal to your printed commodity value plus two. So in the situation of uh, something like Hakan, you can increase your total value up to eight. And then whenever you want, gain eight dollars and then you lose your Dynamis Core. Dynamis Core is really funny to me because um, it can come out late and still be amazing. Uh, because right. of that just like oh i oh, i didn't have a better commodity value all game long doesn't matter i can still get at worst i can get four trade goods out of this right four right. trade goods right. is you know for a relic it's probably annoying on the investment side but at the time of it coming out probably still worth it four bucks for a possible five trade goods uh, uh, objective or even the 10 trade goods objective or even just an extra dread this round right here in the late game when it matters. Um, I like Dynamis Core quite a lot. And that's a stall. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Dynamis Core is like the platonic ideal of a, a relic where it has um, the action so that you can purge it to get trade goods in the late game. Yep. Uh, but it also has the like kind of Hunter's Law like ongoing yep. bonus aspect. So if you draw it early, it's good. If you draw it late, you still get something. Yes. Yeah, it's not as good, but it's... It's still something, right? You know, it's some sort of value. A lot of these are like the scepter of Emilpar over there is get it on the last round, get nothing. Yep, get nothing at all. Right, you might get not a single thing for it. Right, that sucks. Yep, dynamic score always something. Yep. I like that. Yeah, I do too. Um, okay, that is every single card related to exploration. So, Hunter, my first question to you as we sort mm -hmm. to uh, synergize and put everything together is which deck is best uh, and you don't get to say frontier because obviously uh we talk a lot about how much uh we like the frontier deck uh, like in every episode we talk about frontier and how good it is uh so outside yeah, of front frontier deck what's what's the good one um i mean i'm sorry i'm gonna be boring i think it's gotta be hazardous yeah i think hazardous says the is the best uh explore um it is it's got you know it's got some bad stuff. It's got fragments in there, and it's got seven of them. Hate yeah, those. Yeah. I don't want to stay away from those. Buy them from me for a dollar. Um, I'll sell you that for a dollar. Um, <laughs> the attachments are all real good, I think. Yeah. Um, especially combined with the, you know, Rich World obviously is only increasing by one resource, but if mm -hmm. you look at all the hazardous planets, like for the most part, that's good. Not always, but, yeah. some, but like a lot of the times, that's good. Um, you're getting command tokens. You're getting trade goods you're readying readying planets there's a lot of possibilities there yep. that are great but the median kind of value i think is also pretty good yeah um compared to the the other deck so i gotta say hazardous what what do you got matt well i, I you know i i think i have to agree and it's the kind of thing where it's like the funny thing about hazardous is it's the least um flashy to go exploring if you're in search for something very specific right if you if you mm -hmm. need a thing that's going to lead to a point hazardous isn't really the way to go but if you want persistent raw value that is beneficial to you hazardous is the way you go and and so i think the big debate that's still raging right now is what exactly is game long exploration for um and i think the the conversation as i see it is leaning into this idea that like no scanlink is not a good investment in like raw output in terms of just like does do, what does a I, I saw the question asked in our pre errata of like what does what is the average value of an explore card and i actually right. just think it's almost kind of an absurd question to ask because what people are after when they are doing exploring is not raw value they are gambling that is like inherently what is being mm -hmm. attempted so you're not trying to just get 
base raw value, you're trying to score big. Right. So everything you're doing is in an attempt to score big, which is why I still think you see people mine cultural more often than anything else because they're after the fragments for relics yeah, or whatever it's else. True. It's true. Um, but, you know, I think if you are a faction that starts with Scanlink or for some reason has a, a reason to get Scanlink very early and you're not necessarily intending on just like gambling all game long, then you should probably be doing hazardous. I do want to keep making that, that, uh, play for making industrial better in people's minds though as just like a raw persistent value but that's also going to depend on your gaming group and how frivolous they are with commodity exchanges yeah and personally i mean i don't know i i i would encourage people to play really nice with the industrial deck because it just feels to me like you're gonna if 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 we are all nickel and diming each other about the one commodity here one commodity there i feel like it's just bad politics. You know what I mean? Right, like everybody's right. got to get a little something for free. It's the same um, logic as why X minus one is so pervasive, right? It's right. not that I think X minus one is the perfect set of value. It's that I would love it if you offered me an X minus one later. So I will offer you an X minus one now because it's kind of yeah. just the cleanest way to make all of this work on both ends. Yeah. We're all, we're all just like out here playing this game and trying to have a reasonable time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like not necessarily fun. We're not necessarily <laughs> expecting that. We wouldn't but dare. We're just we're just trying we're just trying to set up some values we can, you know, kind of all agree with. And I mm -hmm. think X minus one is that. And I think the courtesy wash off the industrial explorer is is also very much that. Yeah. Um so the other question I I posit then is uh given a system with two different types of planets in it in round one we're doing our initial explorers is there a proper order to this i i i think in the early days i always tried to de decide there definitely was one and nowadays i look at it and i go maybe it's not like critically important but is there sort of a preferred order of exploring these planets is there a way things can shake out where you can optimize your exploring if we are trying to be strategic about how we explore in the early game well Matt, I see in the you you've written an answer that that you enjoy. Then I'll let you give that in just a sec. I'm going to sure. say what I what the what I think. I don't think it matters, but you should just always do cultural last. That's right. all. I yeah. just think it's just all all the order really is is cultural last. Beyond that, I don't really get you know the difference between doing hazardous before industrial. Also, like how often does hazardous come up before industrial? Well, there's like a there's two systems. There's, there's one system. There's th hazardous and an in industrial. There's at least I think there's four of everything uh, when it comes uh, okay. to mixes, or three of everything. I don't remember. There, there's an there's an even. There's wash. definitely yeah. There's definitely more than one hazardous in a system with an industrial. So yeah. that's true. All right, cool, cool, cool. So yeah, the order I sort of put out there and i'm not very i don't feel firmly about this but i would say hazardous before industrial before cultural right we say cultural last why because cultural has freelancers in it and freelancers is just i mean it is what it is but at the very least in hazardous and industrial there is a way to gain some sort of money that could then make your freelancers better right it's just it just seems silly to do cultural first because you might get a freelancers and then immediately after that on your hazardous planet you would then get a core mine for an extra buck and that buck could have been spent on your freelancers if you'd already had it but you don't right so cultural right. lasts be basically exclusive exclusively because of freelancers and the only reason i say hazardous first is because again you might get core mine and then on the industrial you might get 
the mech one, right? You might be able to spend that core mind trade good immediately on mm-hmm. two on a mech. Uh, two bucks, uh, or to save you a buck on the mech on the other planet. And then you can later get that mech over to the hazardous planet and then start, I don't know, that's a a whole other thing. But uh, I I think it's hazardous, then industrial, then cultural. I bet there's other arguments for this. I would love to hear some errata on if people have very specific reasons why they do it in a different order. Uh, But I think hazardous, then industrial, then cultural sort of checks out. I I just want to say also, though, I don't think it it doesn't, I don't think it really matters that much, to be honest. It's just... It's just not freelancers is like my least favorite thing you can draw pretty yeah. much actually. Right. So I would say like thinking about freelancers all the time right. is maybe just not worth that much right. to me. Always. Cause you're, cause how often are you even going to spend that newly earned dollar on a freelancers when See, that's you're just what I'm not going to spend won't. the freelancer? <laughs> the problem is too, with the whole mech spend with industrial though, oftentimes I don't buy that mech unless it's in a spot that's advantageous, which right. I would say is like half the time. Yeah. So all so even the mech val, which is obvious value, right? But also just having a trade good is having a trade good, and you can spend it on whatever. Yeah. You know, it's it's not th- this game is not a flea market where the person wins if they got the best deal. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's exactly. like it's about how you're using utilizing your resources, not you know strictly just saving money. Yeah. Uh, another PSA I have to put out there. If you've ever watched a stream with me on it and you've watched me explain why I'm exploring things in a particular order, I have to make something clear. I do a thing very often that I pretend is statistically significant and it absolutely is not. And I need people to know it's not actually statistically significant. It's sort of like, you know how you everybody had like weird magic tricks for catching Pokemon in, in the original Pokemon games? It's like, if you hold mm. down B, they'll catch more often. That, right, that's what yeah, the, This yeah. is my superstition about uh, doing explorers. And it's just this. It's with the industrial deck. You got, you got plenty of uh, things where there's like, the, the best example of this is Lysis and Velnor, right? Lysis has a red skip and Velnor doesn't. What what's the order? Oh, is it is it critically important in what order we explore these? My justification is you should always do the tech skip first because the tech skips in the deck are a fewer percentage of the number of cards in the deck, right? I got a 3 in 20 chance on getting right. a tech spec on the first draw and on the second one I have a 3 in 19 chance. The the chances in, improved. But that is not quite a Monty Hall problem, but it's in the similar statistical vein as like that kind of uh logical fallacy which is to say there's also all of the percentage chance that i will won't draw the tech spec on the first one that has to get factored in so basically it's just to say if you have two draws looking in front of you they are effectively the same thing but if you want to feel less bad (gasps) then do the tech spec first (laughs) feel less bad hey feel less bad win dumb prizes um That sounds good. Yeah, no, I I get it because it's like you're you're treating it like they're two separate draws and yeah. that they don't belong together in yeah. some sort of overall statistic. Yeah. Um. And then the, if the world did work that way, then it would work that way, but it don't. I guess. <laughs> don't it? Don't do that. That's dumb. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, I want to get into the actual uh hot debate that boy, Arata Channel was going nuts on, and I think it's Jeez, time to y'all weigh need to in. calm down. Yeah. Is this- <laughs> What we're about to talk about, not that big of a deal. Y'all just get excited about stuff and you need to be calmed down every once in a while. So the question is, is it ScamLink? Is ScanLink Drone Network a bad tech that you should not get? Uh, I don't know. Send me a video of your game and then I'll tell you if I think you should get it. Um, it is not a tech that we recommend people research out of nowhere for no reason. Yeah. But 
uh, everybody's just co- like coming out of the woodwork to be like, it's very bad. It's like, who said it was good? Yeah, you know what I mean? That's right. that's what I say. Yeah. Who, who said, who is this that you are refuting? Yeah. Where are these? Listen, we say one thing and one thing only on this show. Get Blue Tech. All right. That's the only, <laughs> we are, it is a weekly show that's been going for five years. We're about to, we're going to hit 300 episodes in less than a year. And all we try to tell you every week, and you just won't listen to us. You won't listen. That's why we have to tell you over and over. Just research Blue Tech only. Do not get any other tech. That's all the advice we have. Just please research the blue tech only. Blue tech peace turtles. Hello and welcome. Uh, yeah, that's all we have. It's all the only advice I've ever even understood is is to just do blue tech. Here's what I'll say. I, I Cody TCT has been coming into some channels recently with some amazing takes, and I I agree uh, spiritually and morally with Cody's Uh-oh. takes. And Cody is a finalist, all right? So why don't you listen up? Cody almost won this year's uh championship match. An almost winner. Okay. An almost I'll, I'll winner. almost listen. Almost listen. <laughs> Sorry, that was me that I meant it to be. I love Cody. Cody's Cody's, Cody's take on this stuff is this because you you got your Duke Lukems out there that are arguing this sort of mathematical approach. Oh boy, math. That's not what this game is. This game no. is about heart about and heart. feelings. <laughs> yeah. It's about heart. Uh the 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 argument goes this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sarween numerically probably a better tech than Scanlink. And that's what you're comparing, right? Which which first level yellow do I want to get? Exactly. Hunter is asleep. He's nearly dead. Uh across the game, maybe you made one extra dollar based off of what sort of figurative value you could apply to everything you do on Scanlink. But that's not the point of Scanlink. That's not the point of neural motivator. That's not the point of exploration. It's not the point of action cards on all these things. The point of all these other things is for the gambling, right? Now, yeah, I understand that gambling is a numbers game, so you have to think about the math to a certain extent, but the point is you don't get big wins if you don't set yourself up for big wins. So scan linking all game long, it's not the most efficient path, but the prize at the end might be worth it, and there are just players out there that dig for the prizes. Look at how Mantis yep. got to the finals in the first place. How whack is Mantis's path in his semifinals he game? He shouldn't have been there. <laughs> he shouldn't have been there. All right. He didn't belong in there. All right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, listen, I've described this game. People have asked me so many times to describe this game. And the, the description that I've always settled on is that it is poker chess for number perverts. All right. That is exactly what the game is. So, yes, you might be more on the chess side of that. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, it's not a very good chess game. Yeah. But but if you leave the poker out completely, then what you're saying is that good luck will never help you. Yep. All right? And you and you got to have good luck, yep. all right, if you're going to win a game of Twilight Imperium, especially if you're going to go all the way, you know, all the way to winning the, the uh, tournament five, like I will. I will have to trust. <laughs> In the good luck, okay, uh-huh. and the bad luck, I will banish it. You'll, you'll, you'll see. I'm gonna be wearing all types of weird stuff having to do with luck. <laughs> gonna be covered in rabbit's feet. All right, it's gonna be me. You can't just push out yeah. the poker and insist that it's right. 
that it's merely, you know, wizard chest chess for yeah. number perverts. You take all the right? good, you take the bad, and there you have the facts of life. I tell you what. Uh, yeah, that's how it is, all so, right? And Scanlink is you saying, I'm gonna, I'm rolling the dice. Yeah. And Sarween is like, I'm good with a cookie. Yeah. And I can't tell you which one is better. Right, right. Depends on so many factors. Uh, the other question, though, is dark energy trap? I don't know now, that I right see... right there, that's yeah. BS. Yeah. <laughs> I'm calling BS on that. Listen, Scamlink, I will, you know, I will entertain this as if it is some sort of, oh, well, there's a debate. You know, there might be two sides. Uh, dark Energy Trap is, first of all, it's encouraging you to gum your slice, which is good play, yeah. all right? right? That's just a good thing for you to do. It's good for you to take up space and fan out, yeah. all right? Yeah. You're not going to tell me that's a bad thing. I'm going to be doing that anyways in half my games. So what, do, what do I care that I also get like a cookie for doing that? Okay. Secondly, that retreat is something yeah. and it's there. Okay. Yeah. And it's not nothing. And it does help uh, every true. once in a while. People forget about so the we're retreat. talking about, we're talking about standard value. We're talking about encouraging you to play the right way. And we're talking about a utility retreat. Come on. Yeah. What do I got to do? I, I've said it over and over. The way DET works is this. Is you're either playing a faction where you have to get anti-mass, in which case you know because you have an asteroid field in your slice, okay? And then in that case, you probably don't get DET, okay? Whatever. Yeah, Who right. cares? But if you're not, then you have to get... Didn't you hear us before? You have to get blue tech, all right? Right. I don't... It's not that... It's not that you have to get DET because it's the best tech ever. It's that we told you to get blue tech. Yeah. So... This is one of your two choices. I think in both situations of these of these texts is what we constantly come up against is everyone is constantly comparing these texts in a vacuum. And I don't think they're 100% wrong to do so because skipping around tech trees has become easier than usual. So like there's a lot yeah, of situations right. where you can say, I don't need a base level tech. I actually have four options of my first tech. Should I, yeah, should, yeah. I should I get Graviton instead of Scanlink Drone Network? Nobody has that conversation. Anyways, uh... I just think that there, you, you have to remember that these things are in pathways to other things. Mm -hmm. I'm not getting mm -hmm. Scanlink because my entire strategy hinges on Scanlink. I'm getting Scanlink because I need a yellow tech for Dread 2, and I see that I might get a little bit more potential upside value from Scanlink than I will from the, like, three bucks I'm going to save on Sarween because I'm not planning to have a very good forward dock or whatever. I'm not going to build twice around, right? I'm just yeah, what if I'm rich? Right. I might just be rich. What if I'm just super rich and right. I'm like, ah, I don't really even need the resources, yeah. you know? Yeah. What if, what if that? Right. What about that? The rich you get know? to gamble, you know? And so so do gamble to win big, and then you win big prizes. It's just how it works. Well, it, okay. I, I want to push back a little bit. The rich do get to gamble. That's what I said. No, no, no. Poor. Oh, the no, poor. No, no. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> we're all... Listen, we're gambling at the edges, yeah. okay? That's how... That is what Mantis <laughs> teaches us. <laughs> is that if you're at the... You're, you're gambling on either side of the edge of the winning and losing tree. That is Mantis's lesson. <laughs> Mant mantis bless you your mantis mantra is gamble on both sides all right <laughs> is there anything else we need to cover in this guide to exploration did we did we hit all the notes um no i i, I think we did great um this was i would say uh, a fairly straightforward topic i'm glad we i'm glad we covered it in depth in our yeah. roundup of components um and just making sure that we have covered everything i hope that y'all felt like you got some new insight on this. Yeah. Um, it felt like of all the things we've covered thus far in this kind of 
new era of rounding up everything and yeah. and making sure that we've given you the genius take and not just the first take and never came back to it. Right. This one feels like the most straightforward. So let us know how you feel about it. Yeah. Um, it was uh, it it was. I think in the future, whenever we cover a topic like this, I might also want us to include something fairly open. But hey, guess what? We did two hours on this. Yeah. So I don't know what our problem is. And I don't know if we'll ever grow up. <laughs> I want to thank all our weird bears. Big Al Cappuccino, Squeamish, Emu, Brassbird, Brian, Kaluan, Dark Jutsu, Goondock, Carnal, Necrodice Twice, Totally Calculating Poet, Kindred Spirit, Lord Raddington, Bagels, Emlashevsky, Sunfax, Absol, Privix, Ricky M44, Rwise, and Wecker. And I want to thank Mama's Lovely Larva. My son is also named Bort. Nerf Zerg, Baldrick, Tautology, Is What It Is, Frank G, Rekka, Jadim Jedi, General Pith, Uncle Batty, Savant, and Teddy's Jam for you. Uh, Homebrewers yeah. Guild, keep an eye out. Today is Wednesday. Tomorrow, September 29th at Thursday uh, at 10 a.m. Central Time. We are playing with Absol's Agendas. Uh, it's a it's a wacky, very spicy. Uh, Absol, here's what Absol did. Absol said, what if the agenda phase really mattered? Like, what if it actually mattered a lot? And you Whoa, needed to like nice. really think about it. That's gonna be what we do uh, tomorrow. So come hang out at Space Cats Peace Turtles Twitch twitch.tv slash Space Cats Peace Turtles 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. We also have the Galactic Council poll. It is wrapped up. Hunter, what is our winner? Our winner is Alliance Mode. Woo! We are gonna be playing uh, some Alliance Mode in the future. Hopefully, we'll play more than one game. I don't know how many we'll get in there. I know Matt, you're playing an async yep. Alliance game right now yep. which uh sounds very cool so that's something that that will be fun to include um i'll be playing uh some alliance mode myself um you did not get your async episode that you are owed you'll be getting it next week so yep. that we could have more time to play async this is just part of the new world we live in where the galactic council episodes are not just track for the galactic <laughs> council train being laid down right in front of it okay there's a little more production right uh -huh, now uh -huh. all right um we're we are getting smarter um also i want to advertise something real quick um i don't spend a lot of time episode to episode advertising games that we're going to play um on twitch although i probably should um it's probably a mistake but i want to i want to bring this up because um, this is something that um, I think means a lot to me that it's happening, and also it involves Big Al Cappuccino, who we love very, very much on the show. Yeah. Um, Big Al uh, invited me to play a Twilight Imperium Global League game, uh, which technically I'm a member of, although I've played zero games for the league, <laughs> uh, and I believe they are halfway through. Um, I got a look at the competitors. There's a lot of really interesting people in the Twilight Imperium Global League, so in order to kind of help promote that, I'm going to play a public game on our Twitch on this Sunday, um, October 2nd. That game is going to start at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Um, I will be playing in it as a competitor. So you can come and watch me lose and get ridiculed <laughs> by, uh, by these better uh. players. Um, I'm looking at some of the players that I'm playing against. Um, they're better than me. And now you'll all know for sure. Yeah. Um, the commentators on it, I believe, will be Big Al. And I'm not sure that there is a co-commentator yet. But you'll get to hear the dulcet tones of Big Al uh, commentating this game. I will. You won't be hearing from me just as a player. I'll just be playing yep. in it. Okay. Yep. Yep. I'll just be out there embarrassing myself, but um, it'll be fun, kind of an exhibition match for you to watch. Yeah. Um, and check out the Twilight Imperium Global League if you are curious about uh, the idea of playing 
Twilight Imperium in a league setting. That way it's like kind of an ongoing competitive aspect as opposed to, you know, our like kind of limited tournament season type stuff that we've been doing. Um, check it out. And, uh, you know, just say hi to Big Al because everything he does for this community uh, is very, very meaningful. What, yeah. a, what a sweet guy. Yeah. Speaking of sweet uh, community members that are contributing a lot, we didn't really get ahead of this one as much as I, I would have loved to, but it's going to be a little bit more persistent is our dear friend BotBot is doing some channel takeover stuff uh, to to play more Root and get more Root on the Twitch, uh, 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 the Space Cats Peace Turtles Twitch. So we just had a game uh, that will have already happened by the time this episode came out, but you can check the Twitch VOD and we'll get it up on YouTube as well. But uh, this is hopefully going to be a somewhat weekly thing for, I don't know, the foreseeable future, which is just we're going to have kind of like a weekly Root game that BotBot is spearheading and it's going to be really focused on teaching, though. It's not just like, here's a game of Root. Uh, he, he's going to be setting up specific things with fellow commentators that can help express really specific ideas. Root gives uh, access to this in a way that Twilight Imperium is much more difficult to do, which is to say, T.I., we sit at the commentary booth for like six to eight hours, and it's really hard to like get super, super synergistic, and then it would take a lot of editing to con condense that down. It's something we've always wanted to do and intend to do. But Root you can talk about like one topic and focus on a thing over the course of a quick, you know, hour and a half, two hour long game or whatever. Uh, so that is something BotBot is uh, trying to make happen. It is not like a set, set schedule. The one we just did was a Tuesday at 830 Central Time. I think that's going to be a somewhat consistent time. Look for weekdays in the 830 window. I think Tuesdays are going to generally be when it is. So keep an eye out for that. We're trying to do more Root back on our channel again. Uh, and we hope you will join us and BotBot. Yeah. I'm really excited about um, playing more Root uh, just in general because I felt like I had a grasp on that game for a while. Yeah. Then the game darn went and changed a whole bunch <laughs> on me. And then guess what? I darn it didn't keep up with it. Darn it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I want to darn do keep up with it. Darn. <laughs> you know? You know, just darn. And if I want to be ding dang, the darn guy. If you ding dang like this darn show, if you'll give if us you five darn, darn stars. Yeah. Give it darn stars. Okay. <laughs> Darn stars for this darn show. That's my favorite city in Skyrim. Okay. Yeah. Darn stars. <laughs> Shut up. Come on. Why are you doing that to us? We were doing so good. We had our darn bit. We were having fun with the darn bit. I was going to say, you should give us darn stars and say, ah, man, I like to spit when I watch this show. Space Cats makes me spit. Hey. If you got a story you want to tell us about a game that you had recently, send that to spacecatspeaceturtles at gmail.com. And Hunter, boy, I tell you, I got one right here for you. And I think oh, you're well, going to like it a lot. Why don't you get on into it? I ding dang will. And hey, you know what? Fair warning. This is a long one. I did not plan on this episode being as long as it was, but we're still doing a long story anyways. But it's worth it. And it's kind of on topic for all the things we've been talking about today. Here we go. This one is from Jonathan. Thank you, Jonathan. I have um, edited this down a lot. This one was uh, like maybe twice as long as it as it is now in the way that I will read it. So if it feels like we're skipping around a little bit, that is maybe by design. Uh, anyways, <clears throat> Act 1, the Round 4 action phase. I, Mahawked, have begun to mobilize using Aether Stream and Aether Passage, a fleet of Dread 2s with a Star Lancer toward Nomad, who is on 8 with one secret, and Engineer Marvel have a flagship unscored, and holding Shard, the only one who as of now could win in round four. Nomad is scared that we are coming for her home system. Because of that, she takes Hope's end, putting Shard up for grabs adjacent to Nalu and I. 
I am elated. I can now take Hope's End and Starlancer anyone who tries to pry it off me, either there or at home. But disaster strikes. Extra, my support partner, moves in to take Hope's End. Shard now lies with someone who is on eight points but cannot win this round due to my secret being unscorable, which we have all seen and verified. But the glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel has been extinguished for now. Nalu strikes. There is justice in the universe. The Nalu fighter swarms, throw themselves at the small fleet of Extra's cruiser twos, but fail to do much damage. The Extra fight with great discipline and quickly tear apart the Nalu fleet. Realizing all is lost, the Nalu declares a retreat, but three hits ensure that he does not even make it out alive. So now I have to wait and hope that Empyrean takes Hope's end, either with not enough to hold it against my counterattack or with everything that can reach, since that would leave me a path to sneak one Dread and one Starlancer into his home system, which would then be open. Empyrean brings a massive armada to take Hope's End, and does so easily. Only halfway through the combat does Nomad process that I have a backdoor into Empyrean's home system. She asks if I will use it. Despite being a good poker player, I can't keep a straight face. She is downcast. And I am confused. Shard alone does not win me the game, and it has no bearing on her ability to win. Or so I think. I move my Dread and Starlancer into the Empyrean home system and take Shard. Nomad then activates the Empyrean-held Malice. It hits us. She had, in true Nomad fashion, predicted the future. If she put shard up for grabs on hope's end we would all dive on the football and empyrean's fleet would be the one that would come out on top she could then sneak into malice and take back the shard that was rightfully hers with all of us out of tokens and unable to stop her but she didn't predict my sneaky maneuver to grab it off the empyrean home system in time this alone would qualify as a play of the week. What a beautiful yeah, yeah. maneuver that Nomad attempted was, was deftly snatched out of the grab. But we've got three more acts to go. Act two, the round four status phase. Nalu goes up to eight points. Nomad scores the flagship point and her final secret, bringing her to nine. If I hadn't sniped Shard off of Empyrean, she would have won. I score a public and my last secret to bring me to nine points with Shard. Speaker order for round five will be Nalu, Empyrean, me, Nalu can take Imperial and win on the zero with a scorable stage two. Alas, the stage two is the scorable spend 16 resources. But Nalu isn't smiling. We assume he's just worried about public disgrace or coup taking his Imperial way and forcing him to survive the round five action phase, which, given the massive Imperian fleet, might not happen. Although I have my doubts about Imperian doing anything besides slamming everything into me. Act three, the round four agenda phase. Until... Nalu reads out the first agenda, which he chose to put on top. Mutiny. What was going to be his hedge against an unscorable stage two could now hand a win to me or Nomad. <laughs> but I score before Nomad due to speaker order, potentially setting me up for the mythical win on speaker order off of mutiny achievement. Extra chooses not to quash, preferring to leave his options open as to who wins. After no ends or afters are played, I suggest that everyone turn over their action cards to see if public disgrace or coup is even an option. It is not. 
Having looked at the second agenda using the Nalu Commander, I confirm that it could not be a point for any of us. Mutiny will determine who wins this game, since if neither I nor o Nomad score off of it, nothing can stop Nalu from taking Imperial wow. and immediately scoring the stage two spend. This is the dream. This is the Matt, dream. It's, it's the it's dream. It's very close to the dream. It's and almost since, the dream. And since Extra and any one of me, Nalu, or Nomad have enough votes to carry the agenda, Extra alone will win make. Nalu and I begin to plead our cases. The extra decide that if I vote yes, they will vote no, deeming Nalu more deserving, as I only had a shot of winning since the inexperienced Empyrean player had made a mistake by not leaving gum in front of his home system. Nalu thinks he has won, but I have one final trick up my sleeve. I, preferring the win to go to the Nomad than to my nemesis the Nalu, fall on my sword. I abstain. You alpha wormhole. It's a fun expletive. I, I, I encourage everyone to use alpha wormhole as an expletive. You alpha wormhole shouts the extra with love as I have forced him to make another win making decision. I begin to make the case for Nomad since her play was to throw the shard of the throne at us on Hope's End was so brilliant. It is not a hard case to make the extra vote for as does the Nomad, Nomad and symbolically the Nalu and the Nomad scores her 10th point and earns a well-deserved victory. Wow. Wow. What a game. That's incredible. <laughs> Isn't shard like the coolest thing in the game? Wouldn't it be cool if there were like five shards exactly. and like you, you could collect them and create Exodia and then you win like or like you you collect all five shards and then you get to play as a new faction that's like even better and they name it after you and then like the art of it is just like a like a crappy JPEG of if like we, just you. If we ever get a thing to win where you and I get to create a new homebrew scenario. We're absolutely doing something like that, where it's just like, let's get hot potato all over the place in yeah. here. Like, let's just throw all the points out the window, and instead it's crazy, weird, little other side projects everyone's trying to accomplish. Yeah, maybe next time we should do half episode about, you know, like half episode about direct hit, and yeah. then half uh, a homebrew faction again, because we haven't done one in a while, yeah. and the first one we did was a hit, if I do say so myself, <laughs> and I loved playing as uh, the Meriwether post-pavilion. Um, I still can't believe you said that as the name for yeah. our homebrew faction. That yep. was a you one. Yeah, it that is me, and I will do it again if we do another homebrew. Inexplicable. I'll, I'll come up with another horrible name. Anyways, Jonathan, thank you for truly truly a play of the week uh and congratulations to your nomad on a, on a well-deserved victory i agree yeah also i love just a true win making scenario oh, yeah. where you're just oh, yeah. like let's just decide who wins yes i wish they should all end that way yep. to be honest everyone should just have to plead their case yep and say why it should be them it's, you know that's what survivor is that's why ti survivor it's, should work we need to make it yep. i want it to work a little bit better than our last attempt but but a, a proper just we have to pick the winner now is the only way this game is actually capable of ending anymore yeah yeah was that was last christmas yeah. that we did that yeah wow mm -hmm. that feels like a million years ago that's crazy yeah um well i mean it you know maybe we could do it for holiday spectacular this year but with people oh, that actually know how to play Twilight Imperium. And we won't call oh. it a holiday spectacular. Oh, are we... Wait, Matt. Okay, just... You can turn the recorder off. Oh, okay, yeah, sure, here. Are, are, is what you're saying... Yeah. Are, is what you're saying that we're going to keep doing holiday spectacular, but we're just not going to invite or tell our friends? <laughs>
Thank you for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles, and thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. <laughs>